Welcome to another episode of Spies Together. <laughs> I always like to think if somebody's never heard our podcast and that's how we open it, they're like, what? <laughs> huh? Spies, huh? what now? <laughs> I'm Harper. I know what you're going to do. It's a bad thing. And I'm going to tell. Get out of here! And I'm Michelle. Oh, darling, you most certainly will not be going out with Mr. Bobby Ray. Why not? Why not? We got a lot in common. Oh, yes. Like for starters, the same business in between your legs. Boink, 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 boink. And today we're doing the end of the month roundup. Ah! Movies! It's the last end of the month roundup for uh, 2021. Let's kick this year to the curb. Goodbye, 2021. By, by the time you listen to this, it will be 2022. Um, so as we always do at the end of every month, we're going to talk about most of the movies that we watched in, uh, this month, um, and just kind of give our quick thoughts. And then for our mini segment, we're going to talk about our letterbox stats for the year. So we're going to see how we did compared to the insanity of 2020 and such. Mm -hmm. So let's get right into it. Cause we got a lot of movies. So we're going to start with, I consider this three movies and there's a whole thing, but the Beatles. We get... still got to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> the Beatles Get Back, directed by Peter Jackson, 2021. New movie. New movies. New movies. So this is a three-part documentary series compiled from over 60 hours of unseen footage capturing the warmth, camaraderie, <laughs> and creative genius that defined the legacy of music's most iconic foursome. This series also includes, for the first time in its entirety, the Beatles' final performance at London's Savile Road. Row. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we watched this back-to-back-to-back. It's three, like, two-hour episodes slash yeah, it's, three It's more movies. than that, yeah, because it's almost eight hours altogether. Yeah. Um. So, overall, I loved it. And I've not stopped listening to the Beatles slash side band since. Yes. Um, We've become Wings fanatics. Yes. Paul McCartney's <laughs> beard was amazing. I haven't stopped thinking about it either. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yoko Ono and John Lennon's relationship was a lot weirder than I thought. <laughs> but she did not cause the band to break up. No, very clearly. So thank you. Her behavior is <laughs> odd, to say the least. Yeah. But her existence is not what broke the Beatles up. Clearly, no. they were all having a lot of interpersonal issues, yeah. to say the least. And then, best of all, it's a great use of archives. <laughs> True. Go Michelle's archives. Archives. <laughs> what do you think overall? Oh, I think it's fantastic. I mean, it was it was one of those things where like we're like, all right, well, this first episode's like two and a half hours. Let's watch like the first hour, and then maybe we'll pick back up tomorrow night. And like every time we did that, we ended up watching the whole episode yeah. in one, one go because it was just like, I don't. I think one of the things to me that was super fascinating about it is that it is both 
the most boring thing you could ever watch because like 90% of it is just them kind of goofing around and not accomplishing anything. Yeah. And or, uh, you know, just arguing with each other and not doing anything. But it's also simultaneously the most fascinating thing you could possibly watch because it's so like personal and fly on the wall. Even well, though yeah, it's they like you're just being filmed kind of hanging thing. out with them during band practice. Yeah. Band practice is pretty boring. But then when you got to like outside Paul eye. McCartney like doing Let It Be in the background or his uh, Get Back song. He's writing Get he's Back He's like, I'm just going to come up with something. We need more. And it's like, Mwah. Yeah, he writes one of the Beatles' best <laughs> songs in like uh, two and a half minutes. And yeah. it's amazing. So the first movie was kind of focused all on like them getting back together and kind of finding their groove. Mm-hmm. So if you want to talk about each one, talk about it. Well, I mean, we don't know. We don't have to. I don't want to like dwell on this movie, these movies forever. Well, yeah, everyone keeps but... comparing it to Lord of the Rings too. Yeah. Whereas like the fellowship was created and then it ends like with the fellowship breaking. Yeah. And then the middle one is what? Middle one is, <laughs> is mostly about them struggling to get uh, George to come back. And... Yeah. And just to figure out what they're doing. They're lost on their journey. Like, But Sam then Billy Preston shows up. Oh, yeah. Billy Preston's great. He is I amazing. I didn't really know anything about him before this. I didn't either. But, yeah, clearly he makes some of those songs, which yeah, is awesome. Yeah, I just hope he got paid well for it. Yeah, I'm sure, sure <laughs> that did not happen. But what do I know? Yeah. Well, they even kind of talk about, they're like, are we going to pay him? It's like, well, I like, yeah, you should Isn't be. it Lennon who's like, he's part of the band. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's basically a Beatle now. We should be yeah. treating him like he is. And the third one, they destroy the ring in Mordor and everything's amazing. Yeah, they do that rooftop concert. <laughs> Except there's secretly a fourth one where they all just go their separate ways and After argue that, again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anyway, I love the Beatles. It's definitely for fans. I don't know who would enjoy it if you're not into the Beatles. Yeah, if you're not like familiar with Beatles, I mean, like I'm not like a mega fan, but like I'm familiar with a lot of their songs, and like we've played Beatles yeah. rock band, Beatles rock band a lot and stuff. So, I mean, you know, if you have any kind of familiarity with them and you have the time to watch it, I would say it's definitely worth it because it's incredibly entertaining and interesting. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I gave it five stars. Yeah, it's probably, yeah. they're probably all four and a half or five stars for me for sure. It's The whole thing's really good. And it's streaming on Disney Plus. Yeah. Um, next up, let's go in a very different direction. <laughs> let's talk about Kill List from 2011, directed by Ben Wheatley, who I'm slowly trying to work through more of his stuff. Um, so Kill List says, nearly a year after a botched job, a hitman takes a new assignment with the promise of a big payoff for three killings. What starts off as an easy task soon unravels, sending the killer into the heart of darkness. And that makes it sound way more serious than it is because at least the first half of this movie is very, like, comedic, mm-hmm. I think. It's very much like this. Is, these two assassins are, like, just kind of goofball, middle-aged men who like struggling to make their marriages work kind of thing. Yeah. (laughs) And it's very kind of like silly. And you don't even know that they're assassins for a little while. You just think this guy's just kind of unemployed. And then you find out like he's unemployed from killing people. (laughs) Um, I like this a lot. Uh, I thought it was really, it's really interesting tone because like I said, it starts super comedically and then um, slowly turns into this kind of like surreal cult horror cult folk horror nightmare um where like the, the people who hire them are start seeming way more sinister the kills don't make sense the people who they're killing are are like 
thanking them for killing them, which you never really find out why exactly. It's really weird. Yeah, I think that's the only problem I have with this. I don't get what all the folk horror cult people like what do they have to do with any of it? I mean, that's fair. I, I think <laughs> it's like two movies. Like, yeah. Well, I think the movie does not reveal any any uh, uh, motivation for why this is happening at all. Yeah, it's like um, why are they which happy to be killed by him? What is his purpose? Didn't bother me, but I understand why it might. Yeah. Um, I just thought it was so cool. I love the like the look of the cult guys. I thought they're really creepy looking. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ending is really cool. Um, my review not entirely sure I understood what happened in the end but it's creepy <laughs> yeah I mean I feel that way about a lot of Ben Wheatley's movies where like like with um, High Rise or with um, uh, what's the other one that we weren't uh, Free Fire that like the concepts are really interesting but sometimes they it structurally doesn't quite work this one worked better for me than those two well In the Earth I think worked better than In the Earth is easily yeah. my favorite by a long uh, shot he did Rebecca though and that was Awful. I haven't seen that one. I'm looking the forward to watching of the um, Hitchcock one. Yeah, I forgot That's about that. Stupid. I'm looking forward to watching um, A Field in England. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I gave this a four star just because I thought I thought it was really interesting and turned out it was different than what I was expecting, and I enjoyed it a lot. I gave it three and a half. And I kind of love anything that Michael Smiley is in. I think he's amazing. Yeah. I- <laughs> um, uh, streaming on Shutter. Yeah. I have to sneeze, but it's not gonna happen so it might happen at any moment during this podcast good to know it's good (laughs) podcasting right there yeah um okay so next movie we watch is a new movie the power of the dog which came out this year and directed by jane campion i always want to say champion yeah um so this movie is about a charismatic rancher named Phil Burbank inspires fear and awe in those around him. When his brother uh, brings home a new wife and her son, Phil torments them until he finds himself exposed to the possibility of love. Because that's the possibility (laughs) of love. To the stars, Benedict Cumberbatch, Kirsten Dunst, Jesse Plemons, Cody Smith-McPhee, Thomas and McKenzie, and Francis Conroy. <laughs> Thomas and McKenzie. She has like one line. <laughs> yeah, I was like, is that her? And it's like, odd. all right. <laughs> well, it's just like, it's, it takes place in New Zealand, so why not? Yeah. Throw everybody in. Um, well, it doesn't actually take place in New Zealand. Shot it's supposed Zealand. to be a Western. <laughs> uh, so overall, I liked it. I did too. I thought this was great. Uh, I think it's making my top 10 of the year, actually. Yeah, same. I thought the cinematography was great in this. You mm-hmm. also It's also New Zealand, so I was like, oh, I want to go there. I want to see those mountains and yeah. this dog. <laughs> um, I also thought the whole cast was pretty great. Um, I just felt like there's like a big twist reveal that I thought was kind of obvious what was going to happen, but I won't spoil it. Are you talking about the end or the thing about Benedict Cumberbatch character both okay I thought the thing about him was pretty obvious but I didn't think the end I didn't see the end coming until it was starting to happen Um, I kind of figured it was happening it didn't occur to me until much later although it seems very obvious now yeah um yeah yeah so I thought if it was a little more ambiguous so I would have been thinking about the movie longer but I did enjoy it I did too I thought it was I wrote that I thought it was quietly twisty like it's very kind of like subtle it's not like these big twists are Mm -hmm. is like in your face at all they're very kind of subtle and um 
And it was like a cross between a subtle romance and a Hitchcock thriller. Yeah. Um, in the West. Yeah. So there's kind of a lot going on, but it feels very natural. Um, and Benedict Cumberbatch is, in particular is really good. He's really good at whistling. And let's all take a moment to thank Bronco Henry. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, For Bronco having Henry. a very silent role and a big impact on our lives. <laughs> Bronco Henry, it reminds me of, um, isn't it Mr. Henry in... Um, Bottle Rocket, James Caan's uh, character that like know. his mentor, his his like thief mentor. I think Maybe. it's Mr. Henry. <laughs> it's kind of like Parker Henry. Um, also, I really liked. There's that part when um, they're saying that his brother says he needs to go wash up before they have like the fancy oh, people yeah. over, and he's like, "I stink and I like it. <laughs> I know how I smell." <laughs> yeah, I like that. I don't know how to wash you. <laughs> you like that? Yeah. That's my new tagline for this movie. Um. I gave it four stars. I, I also gave it good. four stars. I think if anybody likes sort of a thriller mystery in the West, they're going to like this. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to pin down the like genre yeah, for sure. But I don't want to spoil it's it. It's a Western, but it's got a lot of interesting drama going on. Yes. Um, next up, we watched an older movie from the 1990s <laughs> uh, called My Own Private Idaho from 1991, directed by Gus Van Sant. Wherever, whatever, wherever, have a nice day. Whatever. That's a weird tagline. Well, have a nice day is a thing in the movie, isn't it? Is it? I think it's something they say, isn't it? I, I can't. Know. I can't remember. In this loose adaptation of Shakespeare's Henry the Fourth, Mike Waters is a gay hustler afflicted with narcolepsy. Scott Favor is a rebellious son of a mayor. Together, the two travel from Portland, Oregon, to Idaho, and finally to the coast of Italy in a quest to find Mike's estranged mother. Along the way, they turn tricks for money and drugs, eventually attracting the attention of a wealthy benefactor and sexual deviant, a.k.a. Udo Kier. Oh, man. <laughs> so this cast Best is pretty awesome. You have River Phoenix, Keanu Reeves, James Russo, William Wright, Har- Rodney Harvey, where's Flea? Flea, uh, Udo Kier, <laughs> lots of people. Mm-hmm. So I'm conflicted about this movie. Like for the most part, I liked it, but I haven't read or really know what henry the fourth is about i'm Same. guessing it's like this plot <laughs> maybe um so i but what is henry the fourth about because i don't know what this movie's about i don't know either i'm gonna find out you go ahead <laughs> um so i got a little like confused because they're like not totally talking like shakespearean english but it's also not like completely easy to follow because it's modernish. I don't know. Uh, I thought Keanu Reeves and River Phoenix are great together and I really liked the characters and I really liked how things were shot and sort of the style of the whole movie. Um, but for the most part, yeah, the plot, I'm just like, huh, not sure if I get it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, I'm, I can't find like a succinct uh, description of what Henry the Fourth is about. I mean, it's based on the real Henry the Fourth. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Stylistically, I thought the movie was good. I thought the cinematography and the editing were both very good. Mm-hmm. But um, I just, yeah. I mean, I just kind of felt like I didn't get it, and I kind of thought it was boring. Um, yeah. And part of it was that uh, I really hated when they would just kind of randomly lapse into like Shakespearean <laughs> style dialogue instead yeah. of the more natural stuff. It just felt really like pretentious and calling attention to itself in a way I didn't like at all. Uh, the only thing I like really liked about this movie was Udo Kier. 
and the part where we got to see Uokir's butts, butt cheeks being pinched by clamps. <laughs> okay. that, there's that weird montage where they're all like having sex, and it, but it's like it's stills, not like still images, like they're just like holding still, yeah. <laughs> like a bunch of them real fast. And yeah, one of them was Uokir's butt. <laughs> and how many other movies do you get to see Uokir's butt? Not very many. I'm trying to remember if he shows it in Baccarat or not. (laughs) (laughs) No, but probably his Dracula, he certainly might. Oh, man. I forgot to do a Hey Ladies for Power of the Dog. Uh, Well, go ahead. Okay. Hey, ladies! (laughs) Belated Hey Ladies. It would have, like, bothered me the entire episode. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I agree. Udo Kier is definitely the best. Um, and I do I really liked like River Phoenix's character I thought it was really funny to have him like suffering narcolepsy the whole time yeah it was strange yeah um, and then I also like there was one scene where it's like all the uh, gay porno mags talking oh that was to great each other. yeah I mean that's the thing is like there's like some cool stuff stylistically <laughs> I thought it was great but story wise yeah. I just didn't understand it at all yeah and I don't it was, know it felt way too long and I don't think it's even very long Um, and I haven't well, I guess I have seen a lot of Gus Van Sant, Saint movies. I've seen a couple. To yeah. Die For, we loved. Yeah, it's uh, definitely great. Um, and I like... Uh, I mean, there's Goodwill Hunting, Elephant, and Milk. Yeah, Elephant's pretty good. Milk's pretty good. I haven't seen Goodwill Hunting, actually. And we haven't seen the remake of Psycho. Oh, my God. He did that Don't Worry movie. Isn't that the one where Joaquin yeah. Phoenix is in a wheelchair? Oh, Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> odd movie. Anyway, so maybe see it, maybe don't. It's up in the air. <laughs> yeah. Maybe find out what Henry the Fourth is about first. <laughs> yeah. I don't like movies that require a lot, that much homework. <laughs> All right. Public education. <laughs> yeah. Failed us. <laughs> All right. Let's go in a movie that needs no homework whatsoever. And that's Squirm. Squirm. From 1976. <laughs> directed by the one, the only Jeff Lieberman, who did Just Before Dawn and Blue Sunshine. Um at the beginning of the film, we this is the description. At the beginning of the film, we learned from one of the characters <laughs> that earthworms can be called to the surface with electricity, but somehow it turns them into vicious flesh eaters. Somehow is right. Sure enough, a storm that might cause some power lines to break and touch the ground, drawing millions of man-eating worms out of the earth and into the town where they quickly start munching them. This is like poor, really poorly written. <laughs> I bet they just pull some of these descriptions from, from like, for like movies who no one ever watches. That's weird. <laughs> Uh, this movie does only have one fan on Letterboxd, I'm sad <laughs> to say. Uh, anyways, so yeah, that's Squirm. It stars a bunch of people that I don't think I'd ever seen in anything nope. else, although some of them are probably in some other B-horror movies. Um, I enjoyed this mostly because I am not that crazy about worms, and as a kid, I was terrified of them. So, um, And this movie had the slugs factor of like, you're like, Oh, worms attacking people? That's not very scary. And then they're like, she opens a be- bathroom door and like literally like a million worms, like worms yeah. piled as high as the door frame <laughs> fall out of the door. And it's like, oh, that's actually really terrifying. That's a lot of worms. Like the house, they're literally like drowning in worms. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the only like good thing going for this movie is the crazy like worm stuff happening. Yeah. And oh, yeah. like the main guy at some point, the worms like go under his skin 
skin and it's really gross. Yeah, and he just has worms cool. in his skin the whole time. He's like controlled by the worms. Yeah. It's really weird. Also, bonus points for filming in Georgia. Oh, right. Yeah. But minus the bonus points because they make it very stere- stereotypical. Yeah. It's very much like people walking around barefoot and they're like, like yeah. wood floor houses. And it's like, all right, this is the 70s. Give me a break. And then the mom, she has like her own little thing going on. She's like, crazy southern lady oh yeah something's really weird with her. <laughs> and they don't explain it <laughs> yeah yeah no the plot is pretty dull and it's mostly people that just going back from different skeletons back and forth from different skeletons like four or five times yeah. and they try and solve this mystery that's like painfully <laughs> obvious yeah um but the last 30 minutes of the movie are like extremely effectively scary to me yeah. <laughs> there's a scene where a tree falls in a house and they really made it fall in the house while the people were eating true and story if they got hit that's on them that's true <laughs> no worms were harmed in the making but the actors might have been <laughs> yeah i feel like if this had um the more like refined storytelling chops that he this director had w- uh, from like just before dawn this could have been pretty cool, but otherwise it's just genuinely scary, but not very interesting to yeah. me anyways. I gave it three stars. Three and a half for me. It's on Prime and Tubi. Yeah. So get squirmy with it. Get squir- Squirm it up. <laughs> uh, next, we watched another new movie. Come on. Come on. Come on. <laughs> uh, from 2021, directed by Mike Mills. Um a documentary filmmaker whose latest project involves gifted children bonds with his smart yet sensitive nephew whose father struggles with a with bipolar disorder and is in the grips of a manic episode. Let me just say, can we get a movie or TV show where Scoot McNary doesn't have some sort of brain problem? <laughs> we need a Scoot button. Yeah. Like, you got a Scoot. <laughs> scoot. So uh, the cast for this is Scoot McNary playing the bipolar dad. Joaquin uh, Phoenix, Gabby Hoffman, and Woody Norman. Who is British, I think I told you, right? Yeah. I heard an interview with him on the radio. And I was like, what? This little kid actor is doing an American accent the whole time? That's impressive. <laughs> So I've seen 20th Century Women. Um, and we've both seen beginners. beginners. And this one is in the middle for me. So I am mostly overall liked it. Um, and I think it's a nice balance between like the personal family drama going on and rounding that out with like the documentary footage yeah. that they're taking throughout. Um but I feel like this was made for uncles. Yeah, I really enjoyed this <laughs> and because sound people. as a middle-aged man uh, who listens to a lot of NPR and recently became an uncle, I feel like this movie was made for me. Yeah, <laughs> it was definitely more for you. I'll take 20th Century Women and you take Yeah, well, I'm excited to see 20th Century Women too because I was raised by I think by that ladies. will be yeah, made for you as well. So maybe you're just made for Mike Miles. Yeah, I, I wasn't that crazy about beginners. I thought it was okay. Yeah. Um, but anyways, um, yeah, I liked this a lot. This is in my top five for the year, I think. Um, I don't know. He's got Mike Mills. I've only seen his two movies, but he's, he has this very unique brand of like, I don't know how to describe it, like very quiet and very sad movies. Yeah. And <laughs> um, he always throws in, well, like 20th Century Women, it's a lot of like narration with like documentary footage, not like footage, but like pictures and They feel very of the events. time that they yeah. take place. And yeah. yeah, they're very like connected to to a time and place. And this one is connected to right now. Yeah. Um, minus pandemic stuff, I guess. Um, it did reaffirm my belief that I do not want children. 
after this seeing kid, how annoying this kid this is. This kid is almost as bad as the Babadook kid. Yeah. He's not that bad, but this kid runs away constantly. He does. It's just like, dude, just like calm down. Yeah. Um, but I like, yeah, I like that it very much represents like the roller coaster of optimism, terror, excitement, and anxiety. Yeah. That are, that are when you're around kids. Um, it was like, what do I do with them? It's like, ah, you, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I can't tell whether I like this so much because I'm Joaquin Phoenix's character, I'm, I'm the uncle, or because I was partially this kid, this anxious, weird kid. <laughs> but why? Why? <laughs> yeah, smart, but real annoying. That, that pro- <laughs> described me pretty well as a kid, yeah. I think. Um, maybe now, too. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I really enjoyed this a lot, even though I have had a hard time kind of putting my finger on exactly why. Yeah. Um, I think it's worth seeing. It's definitely a good family drama. Yeah. And very now because you get all these real kids talking about all these things that are going on and they can just like sum it up perfectly. Whereas I'm just like, oh, I don't know how I feel. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. And it's, it's, they an, all say it's these, su- like enlightened. like <laughs> Yeah. But it's surprising to me how um, optimistic most of the kids are uh, to the real, real kids that they interviewed yeah. and stuff. Because I sure am not. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I liked this quite a bit. I gave it three and a half. I'd, uh, I'd probably bump it up maybe on a rewatch, but we'll see. I gave it a four and a half. And you can only see it in theaters, I guess, until it's available it's for It's probably rent. coming out soon, because yeah. I think we saw it, when we saw it, it had already been out for a week or two. Yeah. And that was the beginning of the month, so. So come on, come on. Yeah. Uh, next up, we watched another new movie. So we basically caught up on everything at the movie theater before we it did. left. <laughs> yeah, there were like two weeks this month and we saw a ton of stuff in theaters all, yeah. you know, in a couple days. So the next movie is The French Dispatch, which came out this year, directed by that Wes Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the, <laughs> the staff of a European publication decides to publish a memorial edition highlighting the three best stories from the last decade, an artist sentenced to life imprisonment, student riots, and a kidnapping resolved by a chef. Um, I would be here, this would be like 20 minute segment if I have to list every single person in yeah, this let's movie. Not. Let's just say everybody who's been in a previous Wes Anderson yeah. movie, pretty much. They're all there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this was totally disappointing. Yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't crazy about it. I liked it more than I was expecting to because people whose opinions we respect kind of hated it. And yeah. So I went into it with very low expectations and there are parts of it I liked. I mean, there's three segments, right? So the first one takes place in the prison. That was my favorite by far. Uh, it's an artist in prison who's becomes like this modern artist. Yeah. Uh, the second story is um, the one about like the teen protesters. Boring. Uh, I hated, I hated, hated, hated. Um, and the third one is fun. Third one's about like a police chief's son getting kidnapped and yeah. they have to use like this police that chef. Okay. To, you know, yeah. I liked that one, except I don't particularly like, police protagonists these days um and i i know you disagreed about this but i thought the fact that there was a five minute animated car chase is just like what, what are you doing man <laughs> i liked the animated car chase just because it was something to look at where it wasn't like 
changing every two minutes. It's Tilda I mean, it's Swinton cool. over there, Tilda Swinton over there. I mean, it's, it was cool, but it's just like this whole movie is. Well, feel, I like the style of the blo- is bloated and like super excessive. Like yeah. everything is just like, can I do it? Yes, I'm gonna do it. Like, it's too much Wes Anderson. There's no reserve at all. Yeah, like Grand Budapest went to his head. And nobody was there. He's like, hey, remember when you used to make stuff like Bottle Rocket? <laughs> yeah. So he's just like, I'm going to do black and white and square and color and animation. And yeah, I'm going to have 500 celebrity cameos. <laughs> it's all just really too much. With um, a nice little score by Alexander Despot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it has like a lot of the stuff that we like. And like there were a lot of things I enjoyed about the movie. It was just too much of it. Um, like. The sets, I think, are amazing. All the yeah. like miniature work and stuff is really, really cool. Um, I mean, I liked the music, uh, but yeah, again, it's just like, look how many friend, look how many celebrity friends I have that are agree to be in my mm-hmm. movies, and even if they're only in it for like a s- five seconds, or yeah. they only have one line or whatever. So yeah, it's just too like. I wish it's sad that like a lot of the things that we love about Wes Anderson are kind of giving way, like. Grand Budapest is the perfect balance between this movie yeah. is like far on one end of the spectrum and like Bottle Rocket's far on the other. Where like Bottle Rocket is super stripped down and this is like super too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Grand Budapest is right right in the sweet spot where it's like just the right amount of like meta narrative and crazy sets and, you know, miniature action pieces, set pieces and stuff, but not over the top like this is. I think he was also missing out on his comedic timing or something because usually i have a good time like i think things are funny but i don't remember even like chuckling i thought there were parts in the prison thing that were funny um but But, like it didn't flow throughout all of them they were very like well i don't know i see i think we haven't really mentioned about it is like it's an anthology there yeah there are no anthologies that are perfect ever i can't think of one yeah so um, you might like half of the movie, but you're not going to like the whole thing. Right. So it's a, it's already, you're already kind of against a major obstacle when you make an anthology because nobody's going to like every segment yeah. and it leaves you without like a central story or protagonist to get attached to. So yeah, the wraparound is kind of focusing on Bill Murray because he passes away. He's the editor of the newspaper and it's just like, yeah, but I don't feel like that, I, I wasn't connected him. to him. <laughs> yeah. Like the stories don't really have anything to do with him. And there's so much talking too. It's like, yeah, it's okay, 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 okay. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, bring it back. Wes Anderson. He's got a new one coming out. I think next year that stars Tilda Swinton. That really no. Tilda. Yeah. Tilda's in like eight <laughs> different movies coming out next year. So that's the year of Tilda. I'm all for, um, but yeah, this, it was, it's not his worst. It's to me, it's either. It's probably third from the bottom, um, which is still to say it's a decent movie, but it's not a great Wes Anderson movie. See you later, Wesley Wales Anderson. <laughs> what? That's his full name. Wesley Wales Anderson? Wow. What a dork. <laughs> um, I, I was looking at all his movies and like, that's his name? <laughs> I gave this three stars. You gave it three stars as well. Uh, one day we'll do a Wes Anderson episode so we can rank his movies. I think that'd be fun. Yeah. Next up. Uh, let's talk about something just totally wild, and that is... Let's get crazy. <laughs> Raising Kane from 1992, directed by Brian De Palma. Talk about disappointing director movies. <laughs> so, Raising Kane, demented, deranged, deceptive, De Palma. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually kind of a great tagline. I like that a lot, actually. 
When neighborhood kids begin vanishing, Jenny suspects her child psychologist husband, Carter, may be resuming the deranged experiments his father performed on Carter when he was young. Now it falls to Jenny to unravel the mystery, and as more children disappear, she fears for her own child's safety. So this stars John Lithgow playing... Wait, you're supposed to say it stars John Lithgow, John Lithgow, John Lithgow, and John Lithgow. (laughs) One more. And also John Lithgow. <laughs> so he plays and introducing five <laughs> characters. Uh, Carter Nix, Kane, Dr. Nix, Josh, and Margo. Who, I don't remember who Margo is. Margo is the like the woman character. Mm. Oh, yeah. You also get Lolita Davidovich. <laughs> Davidovich. Davidovich. Stephen Bauer. And Greg Henry, we recognized. Cool. <laughs> I don't remember who any of these other folks are. So yeah, Bailey John Lithgow kind of being a crazy person abducted abducting children. He has split personality. Um What's but it? his wife is potentially going to restart or does have an affair with the ex ex lover. Yeah. There's so many this movie has so many <laughs> fake lot. dream sequences and flashbacks and uh I didn't even know. Like the first like 40 minutes of this movie are so confusing. I was totally lost for yeah. a while because not only the John Lithgow plays like five different characters and also the two main women in the movie look really similar. So it's mm-hmm. really hard to t- <laughs> the beginning. It's really hard to tell who's go- happening, who's doing it to who and uh, <laughs> when things are taking place. It's really insane. This is yeah. probably the most De Palma De Palma movie and not in a good way. Yeah. Although we didn't get his signature, like, spinning around shot. No, but we got split diopters out the bunghole. Yeah, I wanted John Lithgow, like, 360. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's it was entertaining because it was so ridiculous. But um, even, like, I don't know, it all leads up to this really, um, like, weird and hard to even explain actions climax at the end where there's like somebody falling off of a balcony and but like even that doesn't really pay off in a really interesting way like you know like carrie does for instance or blowout um yeah so this is i don't know it's bonkers it's over the top it's maybe worth seeing if you're a de palma fan but it's not a very good movie yep i didn't really like it yeah it's too bad because it i mean john lithgow being crazy is always kind of fun but yeah this one's too much too oh yeah he's it's so just, over the top it's just ridiculous and yeah. like his evil like persona it's just like what oh yeah he like wears sunglasses <laughs> yeah so he's a and bad a leather guy. jacket yeah <laughs> it's pretty ridiculous oh my god <laughs> um i gave it three stars i gave it two and a half damn it's not good no it's not it would be fun to watch with people but it's not good no not not even a little <laughs> not even a lot all right <laughs> So next up, I watched two movies by my lonesome while you went off and did work stuff. Yep. And so that is The Piano, which came out in 1993 and directed by Jane Campion. Hey, uh, so after a long voyage from Scotland, pianist Ada McGrath and her young daughter Flora are left with all their belongings, including a piano on a New Zealand beach. Ada, who has been mute since childhood, has been sold into marriage to a local man named Alistair Stewart. Making little attempt to warm up to Alistair, Ada soon becomes intrigued by his... How do you say... Is it Mari? Mari? 
the like New Zealand uh, oh, Maori, Maori <laughs> friendly acquaintance, George Baines, leading to tense life altering conflicts. So the cast is crazy. You have Holly Hunter, Harvey Cattell, Sam Neill, Anna Paquin as the four main people in this triangle of love and hatred. <laughs> Did you just say four people in the triangle? Yes. <laughs> uh, sure Anna Paquin, it doesn't really count. She's just in the middle of the triangle. <laughs> okay, she's in the, in the Bermuda Triangle. It's a pyramid, I guess, of some sort. She's in the, what was the uh, Kavanaugh thing? Devil's Triangle. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, <my> beer. <laughs> um, so I mostly liked it, but I don't think this movie really holds up that well anymore because you have your main leading lady falling in love with her abuser mm. who forces her, who Harvey Cattell forces Holly Hunter to play the piano. And he's like, take off your shirt. And you're like, I'm going to touch your boobs now. Mm. <laughs> like it's cause he's, she's trying to win back her piano, earn back her piano because right. he bought it from Sam Neill who sold it. Cause they didn't want to carry it from the beach. This takes place in like, the 1800s mm-hmm. so there's no cars they have to physically carry this piano yeah that would suck <laughs> um and anna paquin she's a little snitch um <laughs> who kind of ruins her mother's <laughs> life <laughs> she goes around telling like sam neil everything mm-hmm. <laughs> um also sam neil is like this weird voyeur dude who's like Constantly watching his wife and Harvey Cattell like get it on like through mm, the floorboards. Weird. <laughs> this movie is very bizarre. Um, I I mostly liked it though, minus the awful premise. <laughs> That's weird. Yeah. This is probably her most like critically acclaimed. Yeah, movie, right? I think she won Oscars maybe or got a, somebody won an Oscar. I think Holly Hunter did. Hmm. Uh. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Did Holly Hunter drink um, pee out of a jar? No, she's not drink grandma sweet tea or whatever. (laughs) She doesn't talk. Oh, right. right. Oh, yeah. Also, I don't know how I feel about having the main woman not talking while also being abused constantly. Women are better seen, not heard. Am I right, fellas? Well, she uses her piano to communicate (laughs) and shut up. (laughs) Um, So anyway, I don't know how I feel about it. I I am glad I watched it, and I think it's uh, interesting. I got to see Harvey Cattell's butt and Mm. full frontal. Whoa. (laughs) <laughs> I remember you texting me and be like, I just saw Harvey Cattell's booner. It's like, okay. I didn't expect this from this movie. Um, anyway, that's The Piano. I watched it a while ago, so I don't remember much now. <laughs> well, there it is. But it's on Netflix. If you like The Power of the Dog, you will probably also like this. Good review. Yeah, maybe you will, maybe you won't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what's next? Uh, so the next movie I watched is Beau Travel, 1999, directed by Claire Denis. Hmm. Hey, lady! So when you're gone, I try to watch lady movies. Yikes. Whether or not they have full frontal is up to the lot. ladies. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Beau Travel follows... Foreign Legion officer Gallup, who recalls his once glorious life leading troops in the Gulf of Djibouti. Um, that's what it's called. I, know. I can't help it. <laughs> You're such like a teenage boy. I'm sorry. 
Um, his existence there was happy, strict, and regimented, but the arrival of a promising young recruit, Centain, plants the seeds of jealousy in Galoops, Galoops' mind. <laughs> I butcher all of these. Oh, boy. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so I think this actually does star somebody you might know. Uh, Dennis Levant. Well, he's in Holy Motors. I haven't seen that yeah, yet. And he was in that Tokyo movie. Of, maybe we haven't watched that. We just watched one of them. Yeah. I mean, I've seen it, but I don't remember yeah. that much about it. He's in, he's like typical French dude. He's in like very long engagement and a lot of other French movies. Yeah. Um, anyway, I really, really liked this film. Um, it kind of fits into like the mundane military movie like Jarhead does where it's mostly focusing on like they're just training like constantly in the desert, not really like doing anything. Yeah. Um, but it focuses all from the point of the commander uh, leader guy and sort of he discusses like the different relationships between everybody and like it, whether or not he's jealous or envious. It's like kind of like a diary style. Okay. Um, and in certain parts with like monologue. Um, and then I also really, really love the ending of this film, but I can't spoil it because I want you to watch it one okay. day. Yeah, I want to, I'd like to see it. But it ends awesomely <laughs> with the uh, this is the rhythm of the night <laughs> song. <laughs> okay, <laughs> there's a lot of dancing. Yeah, and I think stuff. I remember coming home and you yeah. like singing. I was that playing dance it like, like over and over again. <laughs> yeah, Claire Denis is kind of a blind spot for me because I've only seen High Life, which I was I thought was okay. I like this way more than that. Okay, I Trouble Every Day is the one I always hear about that I'd like to see. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, I guess I need to check it out. Yeah, it's all about like masculinity and regret, jealousy, exploring all of that. <laughs> Just like Raising Cain. Yeah, basically. <laughs> it is a little slow, but I think the payoff is good. Okay. I, I was thinking about it a lot after yeah. finishing it. That's a sign of a good movie, whether yeah. you liked it or not, if you were thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Um, it's on Criterion, and I think it's on one of those like top 100 female directed movies. Mm -hmm. Um, it was like way at the top, like top 20 or something. Okay, so totally worth seeing. I gave it four stars, I might bump it up to four and a half. Cool, if I saw it again. Well, yeah, maybe we'll watch it together sometime next year. Yeah, next year. <laughs> <laughs> um, so next up, we got somebody's birthday extravaganza. <gasps> Who could it be? <laughs> <laughs> it's Who just me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, every birthday we have a movie marathon um, celebrating me. Hey, and I get to pick all the movies I want Harper to watch that he would never watch. <laughs> and then you do the same on your birthday. That's true. So I pick movies so that like I think you months, will love. We'll see what happens. Yeah. All right. So we watched... Uh, eclectic mix <laughs> i'll say so we started off with two wong fu thanks for everything julie newmar greatest um, movie name ever yeah hey, lady. directed by b b ban kidron b ban b ban b ban and this came out in 1995 attitude is everything 
So three New York drag queens on their way to Hollywood for a beauty pageant get stranded in a small Midwestern town for the entire weekend when their car breaks down. While waiting for parts for their Cadillac Cadillac convertible, the flamboyant trio shows the local homophobic rednecks that appearing different doesn't mean they don't have humanity in common. So you have Wesley Snipes, Patrick Swayze, and John Leguizamo playing the three drag queens. And then you have Stockard Channing, Blythe Danner, Arliss Howard, Jason London, Chris Penn, uh, Melinda Dillon playing everybody else. Yeah. Um, all the the local townspeople. Um, so I had seen this before on TBS uh, reruns, and I always enjoyed it, and I thought it was funny. Um, I think a lot of the references are outdate- outdated now, so some of the jokes kind of fall flat. But a lot of them don't. But I still love it. <laughs> it is genuinely really funny. My favorite jokes. Um, well, I really like uh, RuPaul as Rachel Tensions. Yeah. That's really funny. Yeah. Um, so he comes down like wearing a Confederate flag dress uh-huh. and like Dolly Parton blonde wig. Yeah. <laughs> but the best part is when Chris Penn, who they like, he's a, this awful cop who pulls them over and... Um, uh, uh, Tries to Swayze accidentally yeah. like she thinks that she kills him, yeah. but it's really just like not, he's knocked out. And so then he's like the other cops don't believe him that he got beat up by some ladies, and so he he is like searching for them, and he has this list uh, that he's checking off of like places where drag queens might be, and it's like antique store, yeah, hair salon. Flight attendant lounge. Yeah. <laughs> like, the list is so funny. That's that's easily my favorite. That was my favorite part of the movie. But um, I mean, all the the all three of the lead performances are really good and funny. Um, and uh, I thought the earnestness that in d- other hands might be really kind of corny is pretty uh genuine and yeah. works. And the message at the end lands nicely. It doesn't feel like kind of you know hokey. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun. I'm glad. I was worried you'd be like, oh no, what I got into now. <laughs> no, I think it's good. It's probably my favorite Patrick Swayze performance, if I'm honest. I'll take it. <laughs> Although I thought you liked uh, uh, Point Break and Dirty Dancing and Donnie Darko are all pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, he's barely in Donnie Darko, but yeah. Is that all the ghosts that you can bust? <laughs> I said a good morning. Yeah. Well, I like when all of his films, he takes them so seriously. And True. it's just funny because like, Whenever I thought of Patrick Swayze before, it's just like, oh, he's just the ghost dude, like yeah. or like the action dude. Yeah, but oh, no, this and actually, his whole heart I, into his I actually really like John Leguizamo in this too. I thought he was so. I usually I don't tend to like John Leguizamo, but I actually thought he was really good in this. Well, I feel like I never see him like in comedic roles. Yeah, like, I guess Moulin Rouge, Mario Brothers. <laughs> Is he in that? He's Luigi, isn't he's he? He's a Mario? I'm pretty sure he's Luigi. Is he? Tell me. T- tell me if I'm he's wrong. He's in so many movies. I'm scrolling and scrolling. <laughs> Super Mario Brothers. John. Yes. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh, he plays Luigi Mario. <laughs> <laughs> um. And then Wesley Snipes is just like bonkers in this. Yeah. Like he's playing it like, yeah, over the top comedy 
Which he's never really in comedies either. No, and he's really funny too. It's a shame. Yeah. Well, I guess coming to America. Yeah, and was, that's true. Yeah, he's he was in Dolomite, but I haven't seen like any other comedies. There's that whole him. segment where he like, um, or she, she really connects with the old lady who like everybody thinks is mute, but really yeah. she's like obsessed. She just with wants old to talk movies. about movies. Yeah, like, I can <laughs> like, sympathize. That's how I'm gonna be when it's I'm old. Us. <laughs> yeah, I thought this was a lot of fun. I'm glad. Uh, I gave it three and a half stars. I did too. What's next? So next on the birthday extravaganza, we watched Cobra, 1986, directed by George P. Cosmatos. Oh, boy. <laughs> Crime is a disease. Meet the cure. <laughs> so next. a tough-bone crime street cop must protect the only surviving witness to a strange murderous cult with far-reaching plans. Starring... Sylvester Stallone, Bridget Nielsen, Rennie Sandoni, Brian Thompson, Art LaFleur. <laughs> um, so we I picked this movie because we really, really love Mandy, who is the son of this director. Um, yeah. And I was like, this kind of sounds like it has Mandy influences with the like murderous gang members, I guess. Yeah. Um, so we gave it a gave it a shot. <laughs> We sh- if you really wanted to watch a George Cosmatis movie, we sh- I mean, we've seen Tombstone, but we also yeah, should've... but this one sounded more like Mandy, I guess. But Leviathan <laughs> is infinitely better than I've this. I've seen movie. Leviathan. It's good. Um, I don't know. I didn't really like this at all. <laughs> it's not great. I mean, not even it, it was not great, but it was also not very. Uh, I don't know. It wasn't that entertaining to me. I kind of thought it was a little boring, even though it's. I know it's super over the top, but also. Movies like this kind of just make me angry now where it's just like <laughs> movies like this is why we've all been very accepting of like, well, cops sometimes just have to break the rules, right? That's just how <laughs> things work. Well, they kind of make fun. Well, they they, yeah, they I, point that out. Yeah, like except the journalists he, are like, you, you don't have the right to kill everyone. Yeah, and then Cobra like punches him out and it's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the criminal guy's like, I have rights too. And then he like and throws he him in the him. lava or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You're not really kind of helping him make but my point I think here. it's helping us heal a society. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sure. <laughs> um, I did like the over the topness of everything. Like there's explosions. There's weird knife stuff happening. The weird posters. He has those sunglasses that were like chirum, chirum. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So it's total garbage, but it was fun. I will never watch it again. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree with you on that point. I'm also not a huge Sylvester Stallone fan. No, I'm not either. Or Bridget Nelson. So, oh, well. Sorry, Cobra. I gave you three stars. Two and a half for me. Um, Next, we watched Darkman. And the birthday extravaganza. So, Darkman came out in 1990, directed by Sam Raimi. That Sam Raimi? <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is a long tagline. They destroyed everything he had, everything he was. Now, crime has a new enemy and justice has a new face. Dark man. <laughs> uh, so, Dr. New face, get it? Yeah. It's Phantom of the Opera. Kind of. Dr. Peyton Westlake is on the verge of realizing a major breakthrough in synthetic skin when his laboratory is destroyed by gangsters. Having been burned beyond recognition and forever altered by an experimental medical procedure, Westlake becomes known as Darkman, assuming alternate identities and his quest for revenge in a new life with a former love, played by Francis McDormand, starring Liam Neeson. 
Do we know everybody else? Colin Frills, Larry Drake. Ted Raimi. Yeah, Ted Raimi. <laughs> no, no surprise there. <laughs> um, so I've seen so many gifs from this movie. <laughs> why? 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 Yeah. Why? <laughs> um, so it was fun. I thought it was like a weird prototype between Evil Dead and Spider-Man. Yeah, agreed. and it's like definitely bridges that gap. Yeah. In between is Dark Man. <laughs> um, like the hand gestures. Yeah, that I'm doing a lot of hand stuff coming yeah. together. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. And then together in a Phantom of the Opera type love story. <laughs> uh, crazy cast, some cool effects, and a slightly cheesy plot. Yeah, I mean, I think the plot in this movie is way too uh, all over the place for it to be like really great, like among some of his better movies, but. Um, it has a lot of his Raimi charm to mm-hmm. it for sure. Um, there's a lot of like wacky cinematography and these really like trying really hard, clever shots where the camera makes these like insane movements and stuff. Yeah. A lot of good slapstick stuff. I like that scene when he holds Ted Raimi's head up through the manhole and the cars are like speeding by and he's like, ah, <laughs> that was fun. Um, so it's not bad. I don't know that I'd ever be interested in watching the sequels that have like totally different I cast and it. stuff sure and are sucks. not Sam Raimi. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. I mean, it was fun. I enjoyed it. It's weird watching a superhero movie before superhero movies yeah. were a thing. Yeah, so true. It's, it borders more on like, uh, I don't know, like, uh, crime, crime, like yeah. early crime movies, yeah, I guess. Yeah, this is definitely, er- like, I feel like either Dick Tracy, X-Men or like, Spider-Man <laughs> were like the first movie to like break what was going to be like the new thing yeah. that we're still in right now, like the superhero era of movies. Well, I guess Batman... But that was still kind of like this. is more like that, yeah. like Batman. Yeah, like Batman 89. For sure. Comic it's style. very comic booky. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, it is uh, it is interesting to see him kind of bridge the gap between that. And this is definitely like his first big kind of bigger budget movie, which is interesting to see how somebody... You, you get a lot of directors who like have these crazy, interesting, stylistic... Uh, um, signatures that as soon as they get a ton of money, those all go out the window. And that's not the case with this movie at all. Yeah. So that's cool. It was also weird seeing Liam Neeson young, super young and like a nobody basically. Yeah. Although he does run on rooftops in this. and he is like f- four feet taller than his wife, his girlfriend in this yeah. movie. <laughs> well, Francis McDormand's probably like four feet tall yeah. to begin with. So. <laughs> yeah. But he's super tall. So it's kind of funny. Um, yeah. I thought, it was, I thought it was good. Yep. I gave it three and a half. I did two so next up we took it all the way to 1998 10 years after my birth (laughs) during my birthday extravaganza uh uh, rush hour (laughs) directed by bill brett ratner (laughs) so the fastest hands in the east meet the biggest mouth in the west (laughs) oh terrible tagline yeah (laughs) Uh, if you don't know what Rush Hour is, I'm not going to explain it. Okay. It's Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker doing crime together. Fighting crime, not doing crime. Doing crime. <laughs> um, Let's do some crime. Yeah, so you got Jackie Chan, Chris Tucker, Ken Leung, Tom Wilkinson, Chris Penn again. He was our... Oh, yeah, that was weird. He yep. bridged. <laughs> Every time <laughs> we do one of these Michelle's birthday marathons, there's always like a surprise. Like last year we watched... Uh, Deep Blue Sea and Long Kiss Goodnight didn't realize that they were the same director until yeah. the second one started. And this time, yeah, it was Chris Penn was the <laughs> connecting weird connection thread. Um, so I remember, I used to remember liking Rush Hour. 
I wonder if the other two are any better. Cause this one, I thought like some of the stunts were, were pretty good. And, um, I mean, then, you know, a lot of the Jackie Chan like action stuff is a lot of fun, but this movie also has a bunch of like yikes. It's moments. so cringy. Jackie Chan says the N word. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe that happened, but you're right. <laughs> no, yeah, that's no, not, Jackie, you can't say no, that. No, not cool. It's not funny. <laughs> no, it's not not funny. And, so yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that that are just outdated, and I'm like, ooh. Yeah, I, it's honestly, I feel like both of them don't get to do as much of what they're really good at. Like Chris Tucker doesn't get as many chances to be funny. I mean, he's okay, but it's not like fifth element. Yeah. He's fifth like element super is like top. his, his, his golden role. Like, <laughs> and Jackie Chan gets to do a fair amount of action, but not like some not of his, his own good, like, giant best stunts action. and stuff for sure. Uh, so yeah, it's okay. I'd, I'd be curious to see if that, I, I don't know if I had ever seen this one before. Honestly, I think I saw the second one in theaters and that might've been the first time I saw one of these movies. Um, and I remember liking it, but I was also like 12 years old or whatever. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess maybe we'll watch the others and see at some point. But yeah, this was just okay to me. I said the best part of this movie is the blooper reel at the end. <laughs> 100%. The blooper um, reel yeah. is awesome. It's that. always the best of any Jackie Chan movie. I'm glad they brought it into this. But it's it's <laughs> added to it. It's like a comedy too. So there's a lot of, you know, you see the Chris Tucker you know, goof ups. Yeah. Too. So yeah, it, that, I agree. He couldn't say Chelsea Clinton. <laughs> yeah. That was really funny. Um, so yeah, not, not the best and definitely doesn't hold up. So I'll give it three stars. I did too. Um, and then the final birthday extravaganza movie was Starship Troopers. Yeah. So the only good bug is a dead bug. <laughs> I thought you said that. <laughs> Starship Troopers. It's a dead bug. <laughs> dead bug. Uh, came out in 1997, directed by Paul Verhoeven. So basically, I just watched 90s movies mm-hmm. for my birthday. That's yeah, the goal, usually. <laughs> yeah. There's not much left. I guess next year will be Roadhouse. Oh, man. I was really glad we <laughs> narrowly sidestepped that Although one. Although I remember, year. I got to watch Blast from the Past. I still yeah. can't believe you haven't well, we seen all, it. We, we got to watch uh, Adventures in Babysitting. That was one we almost yeah. watched and we didn't. I might just pick that randomly because I've never seen it. Yeah, me neither. All right. Back to the bugs. Set in the future, the, the story bugs. follows a young soldier named Johnny Rico and his exploits in the mobile infantry. Rico's military career progresses from recruit to non-commissioned officer and finally to officer against the backdrop of an interstellar war between mankind and an arachnoid species known as the bugs. <laughs> so, <laughs> bugs. It stars Casper Van Dien, Dina Meyer, Denise Richards Colon. <laughs> It's complicated. Jake Busey, <laughs> Neil Patrick Harris, Clancy Brown. Oh, yeah. And Michael Ironside. Yeah, Michael Ironside rules, <laughs> as he always does. So I had seen this a really long time ago, and I don't think I remember any of it. But everybody hates it. But I think it's making a comeback now. I don't know if everybody does hate it. I always had that impression, too. But like Letterboxd, that's a 3.7. That's, that's just, really it's good. It's a comeback. Yeah. <laughs> Because people realize it's supposed to be a satire, right? I don't know. I, I, I had an argument with somebody in my comments on my review about this, actually. You had arguments on Letterboxd? Not an argument, but somebody had disagreed with my review. What? Um, what did they say? Well, because I said... Oh, there's a lot of comments. Because I said this movie feels very pro-military, which 
they said it, it's intended to be a satire, which if it is, I feel like that's not done very well because <laughs> I, the, the entire climax of the movie hinges on the fact that they capture a bug and, you know, it's very heroic and stuff. I, there's a lot of satire in the like news clips and stuff, obviously. Yeah. There's like kids carrying around guns and they're like, do your part. And they're like stepping on yeah. cockroaches. Like, obviously that stuff's <laughs> very satire But I feel like this movie also is like, like, you know, you become a citizen if you participate in the military and like, you know, when something goes bad, it's not like, oh, the military's bad. It's like, oh, I messed up. I need to prove myself to be a better soldier the next time. Like, I don't know. If it's intended to be satire, yeah. like uh, 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 satiring the military, I don't think it does. I didn't think it was pro-military. So. Interesting. I mean, I could totally be wrong about this, but when I was watching, I was like, this is in no way, shape, I or think form it, criticizing the military. Yeah, it's like, well, just showing how, one, dumb it is that, well, it shows how dumb war is. Like, yeah, except that in the end, it's like, yeah, we won. So it's like, what, what's dumb about it? <laughs> they succeed. And they're all like, yeah, friends from high school, we did it together. <laughs> Even though I'm a Nazi now. <laughs> no, I mean, like Neil Patrick ad. Harris is a Nazi in this movie. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, but I, I don't want to criticize it because I actually do like this movie. Yeah. But, um, uh, I like that it's weirdly like very gender progressive especially for like a Paul Verhoeven movie and the guy who made Showgirls. This movie has like all these, it, the movie has a lot of nudity, both male and female, and it never feels like it's like sexualized in any way, shape or form. Like there's a whole shower scene that's like two minutes long and it's never male gazy and it's j- all about the conversation they're having, even though they're all naked. <laughs> Sometimes you just gotta get clean yeah. and have deep conversations. <laughs> um, and I like that, I like the world building that the movie does a lot too, although it's this movie is it's super white. so white though. They all are from Rio de Janeiro. Yeah, they're, and they're all supposed to be like white. South American, like. There's <laughs> precisely one black person in the whole movie yeah. that I can remember. Um, that, which was the guy from uh, something we recently watched. Oh, The Wire. The guy from The Wire. Um, the effects are pretty good still, and the performances are pretty good, even from Denise Richards' colon. <laughs> so it made me wish uh, Dina Meyer had been in more stuff besides just that terrible Birds of Prey TV show. <laughs> who was that? Uh, the, the one who's the other like girl, constantly... not Denise Richards. Yeah, trying yeah, to get She's pretty badass mind. in this, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I enjoyed this movie. I think it's really interesting and it's, uh, I'd be interested to read the book. My biggest complaint about it is that the movie doesn't feel like it has a beginning, middle or end. It just sort of stuff happens and then the movie's over. Yeah. I was trying to think like, would RoboCop, do you think that's pro law enforcement? Cause I feel like it's the same vein as that. I mean, as far as satire. And- maybe, except that I think, uh, well, I don't know if it's pro-law enforcement. I mean, it may or may not be pro-law enforcement, but it's an- super anti-corporations Yeah, is kind of the whole idea. Um, See, so yeah, I'm not sure. But like all the cops are corrupt in it too, so that's maybe part of it. I don't know. That's a good That's a good point. Um, I, I, I just need to watch Starship Troopers again. Let's do it. <laughs> the only good bug is a dead bug. <laughs> I'm from Rio. <laughs> all right. I give it three and a half stars. I did too. So that ends the birthday extravaganza. Thus ended Michelle's something something birthday. So yeah, on my my birthday list, I also had twins. Oh boy. <laughs> you always pick like one comedy that you think is going to be fun and it turns out to be creepy. Like uh, like big. Like big, yeah. Big is so creepy. 
Tom Hanks, no. Remember Don't in, get a girl. We're at Edge of 17, and he's like, you seen that movie with like the big guy and the little guy and the twins? <laughs> yeah. She reminds me of you. Jane DeVito reminds me of you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So next up, we watched a comedy. We watched a lot of comedies this morning. Yeah, we did. Horror is dead in this house. <laughs> So we watched Midnight Run, which came out in the year of our birth. 1988. 88. This could be the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Uh, so Midnight Run, 1988, directed by Martin Brust. <laughs> An accountant. Brust. <laughs> An accountant embezzles $15 million of mob money, jumps bail, and is chased by bounty hunters, the FBI, and the mafia, starring Robert De Niro and Charles Grodin, uh, and Yafit Koto. Our boy Charles Grodin. And Joe Pantaleone. Yeah. <laughs> I wish he was in this more. Uh, every scene he's in, he's yelling so loud, it's like clipping the You're microphone. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you gotta get back here! You got him! <laughs> well, Joe Pantaleone. Um... So talk talk to me about Midnight Run, Harper. Um, I thought it was fun and very clever. Um, Charles Grodin is funny as always. He's very super, um, just dry humor, very dry humor. So dry. Um, Robert De Niro is pretty funny, but a good like tough guy, like annoyed with so him. So tough. I appreciated that this was very like R rated. That they they didn't really tone it down, tone down like the language or anything, just because it's a comedy. Mm-hmm. Um. I did think this movie was too long. Too long. I I don't know. I'd be interested to look and see like my favorite comedies, but I can't. I don't. I feel like no comedy should be more than like ninety five minutes. This is a little over two hours, which is just too much. It's too much laughing for one person. <laughs> Your cheeks would hurt by the end. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's my problem. My cheeks were hurting. Yeah, they just kind of dragged out the plot a little too long. Um, but I thought it was funny, but. I mean, it's not, it's crazy. You have Robert De Niro and Charles Grodin yeah, it's together. Definitely, <laughs> definitely playing to their character types. Yeah. Like Robert De Niro is basically playing, you know, the same kind of tough guys he always plays, except in this case, he's partnered with like a goofball who's trying to do the right thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's a really clever idea. And I do, I think, I did think it was a lot of fun, but yeah, it was just, it was just a little random long. long. Um, I gave it a three and a half. I did as well. I can't really remember like any jokes or anything though. So yeah, I'm trying to think of this is a very short <laughs> overview. Really yeah, I know. I don't have that much else to say about it, I guess, but I did enjoy it. It's on Tubi and Netflix. Yeah. Next up, we watched another new movie, um, Nightmare Alley, which came out this year, directed by Guillermo del Toro. Man or beast? That's a bad tagline. Um, mm. So this movie is about an ambitious young carny with a talent for manipulating people with a few well-chosen words, hooks up with a female psychiatrist who is even more dangerous than he is. So this stars Bradley Cooper, Kate Blanchett, Rooney Mara, Tony Collette, William Dafoe, Richard Jenkins, Ron Perlman, Mary Steinberger, David Strathorn, Holt McCollany. There's a lot of people in this. Mm-hmm. True. Our main man, Willem Dafoe. Gotta love him. Is he man or beast? <laughs> the doctor has unequivocally declared him yeah. a man. Um, so overall, I was a little disappointed in this. A lot of people oh, were saying true. it was great, 
and I was, I guess I went in thinking it was going to be amazing, like Shape of Water and uh, Everything Else We Like by Guillermo del Toro. Um, but something fell off with the plot and it was pretty obvious kind of where the ending was going. So I was like, eh, I know what's going to happen, but how are we going to get there? And I never saw the original, so I don't know how much is influenced from that film on this one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. It felt like something was missing here. Like it, it felt either the pacing was really weird or the plot, it was like too episodic. Yeah. Like it's like you spend like 30 minutes where he's working for this carnival and then it's like, bam, we're completely done with that. We'll never see almost any of those people ever again. Yeah. Um, and then, then it becomes like this more straight kind of noir with this weird, like, uh, uh like fake supernatural twist to it. Um, and then in the end, it's very much like uh, Twilight Zone episode. Yeah. yeah, it does kind of feel like a Twilight Zone episode. It's all about like, I don't know. Yeah. Man. <laughs> man, nature, man. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It just, I mean, it has the same like really, really well done production design and sound design that all of his yeah. movies do. Like, they I always can't fa- look amazing. Yeah, I can't fault any of the craft of it, really. But it just doesn't feel as satisfying as Shape of Water or Crimson Peak. But but we didn't like Crimson Peak yeah, either. So I was gonna say until we rewatched. Hated it. Crimson Peak the first time and loved it the second time. So it's possible yeah. I could change my mind on this one uh, if we watch it again a few years down the road. But yeah, I mean it's good. It just didn't wow me like Shape of Water. It's did. possible. It's like I didn't connect with Bradley Cooper's character that much. It's like you kind of know he's a bad guy and you kind of know yeah. he's like manipulating everybody. So it's, there's not like a good guy turning evil. It's like a bad guy yeah. getting more evil. And like if he gets what he deserves in the end, who cares? Yeah, that's a fair <laughs> uh, thing to... Yeah, I agree with that. Like if it was more like Godfathery, like him kind of corrupting because yeah. he figures out how to manipulate people, that'd be more interesting. But yeah, he's just kind of a like bad he guy. he starts well, off... Yeah, and the kind of like bad. reveal of what happened with him before like at the beginning of the movie yeah. that you find out much later. Um, I don't know if it was like, oh, okay. Like it just sort of, it already goes along. Yeah. It's not any kind of surprise because he's already done terrible stuff. Like it's it's like not very surprising that he did a terrible thing before the plot of this movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think maybe that's the issue. We know a little too much about Bradley Cooper, but also not connecting with him and then all the side characters they're just there to like support his story so we don't even get like i don't know anything redeeming for them it's yeah. just depressing <laughs> or boring i don't yeah. know <laughs> guillermo del toro is also best when he's got a female as the protagonist i think yeah um, and I kept thinking Kate Blanchett was going to be evil Nazi woman, and it just never happened. Yeah, I, <laughs> they I referenced World War II so many times. That didn't ever occur to me, but I once you said it, I was like, yeah, they kind of t- constantly talk about World War II, and it never seems yeah. to actually have any effect <laughs> on the plot in any way. So it is. And kind I, of odd. I still don't know what her whole motivation. I won't spoil it, but like what she does. Well, yeah, I'm not a hundred percent clear on that either. To be honest, yeah, I I kind of agree with you. Anyway, I gave it three and a half. I did too. Like it's, it's fine. It's a good movie. It's just, yeah, I think I expect a little more sometimes. Yeah. From GDT. <laughs> the big GDT. Yeah, man the big himself. GDT. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe see it. Maybe not. <laughs> yeah. It's also really long. Really long. 
It's two and a half hours, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, but you know how I, I don't feel. mind like two and a half hour movies. I did in this case, but it's a, it's fine. Watch it from home. <laughs> yeah, that's probably fair. Then you probably should right now, anyways. Yeah, don't go out. <laughs> um, next up was one I've wanted to watch for a long time. We finally got around to it, and that's the Night Comes for Us from 2018. Directed by Timo Tajanto, which I don't think we've seen anything else. Uh, oh, he did some stuff, part of uh, segments for VHS 2. And yeah, I think that was the only one we've seen. Um, In search of salvation, he'll make the city rain blood. Yeah. I got to start practicing my movie voice. Yeah. I want to be a trailer girl. Trailer girl. Okay. <laughs> hey, <lady>! <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, so it's basically like the raid to light, <laughs> right? So my review is like raid to it ain't, but <laughs> some good action sequences. <laughs> yeah. It's hard not to compare this to raid two because it's, it's very, similar. it's another Indonesian action movie. That's all about like a criminal underworld and somebody fighting their way through it, which is I'm uh, guessing very similar. What? most of the film industry there is going to be like for a long time. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, we've seen some Indonesian horror movies that are That's very true. different than this and are really good. So yeah, it's hard to say, but, um, I thought this was really good. Uh, it's just, it's like, if I'd never seen raid two, this would be like amazing probably. Uh, but it's hard not to compare it to that. Um, I thought it was okay. Okay. We might have differing opinions. <laughs> All right. I thought the fight choreography was really intense and varied. Like I like that it happens. I don't know. I like that these Indonesian action directors somehow find ways to have fist fights that are integrated into car chases and gun shootouts. Yeah. I always think that's really impressive and cool that somehow they include martial arts in different kinds of action sequences. Um, I also like that this movie, one thing the Ray two does not have is a whole bunch of badass women kicking ass. And this movie has Ray a lot of has, those. Uh, has one. Baseball girl. Or Hammer girl. Hammer girl. She's the only like woman in the whole movie, basically. But she's a badass. I mean, she's great. Don't get me wrong. But she's the only one. Whereas this movie has like three or four crazy women. They that, all have uh, cool that, haircuts. Yes, and cool <laughs> outfits. They're just um, too cool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the best fight in the movie is the one between the all three of the ladies at the like hotel. Hey, I thought that was really cool. Um, and I thought the camera work is really good. Like, uh, uh, again, like Ray too, it does a lot of crazy moves where it's like moving through windows and, you know, following the action in a really interesting way that, you know, American action movies never yeah. do. Um, there was one scene where I'm like, is this the footage from Ray two, the car going under the, like the overpass chase scene? Cause I'm like, this well, looks it's exactly a, sure it's a similar the place. same it's in, street. Indonesia is not a huge country. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's all in Jakarta. So. So I think my issue was that it's very heavy plot, but you only get like, you have to read a bunch. You get all the plot in the beginning. Yeah. And then it's kind of like lackluster throughout the rest of it. I agree. It's like, this is the setup. I think the crime plot is very weak. Like there's <laughs> yeah. very little to it. And it's, it's kind of like, we just want to fight. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a pretty flimsy setup. I definitely agree with you on that. Um, And then... I thought the main guy was okay. Joe Taslam. Yeah. I didn't connect with him. He's like him. our Raid 2 boy. Yeah. Uh, what's what's he, his name? He felt underutilized too. Uh, Iko Uais. I think he did all the choreography for this too, which is cool. 
Um, and then fight scenes. I mean, yeah, the fight scenes are always going to be great, but I think, I guess I just need to like the raid two is the perfect balance of like plot and action. Yeah. And it builds upon like the previous raid, but it's fine. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the raid two has a special, like the crime plot in that is genuinely really interesting and epic and builds yeah. and builds and builds until a really fantastic climax. Whereas, yeah, this is just kind of generic plot. Yeah. Um, but great fight choreography. And that's the main thing you want out of these kind of movies. So. I'm always thinking though, like do all these like, uh, minions and these gangs, like, well, they're always waiting like to fight. Like yeah. well, if you all rush this dude at once, like he would die, <laughs> but it's always like that's one on one, one on one. Like I'll wait back here in the hallway. So you gotta like throw chairs <laughs> into the crowd yeah. and stuff. That's what they always do in these movies. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, anyway, it's streaming on Netflix. Yeah, I gave it four stars. I gave it three stars. You're wrong, but okay. Okay, so buckle up. The next two movies are going to be an hour long. Yeah, discussion. we got a lot. We got a lot to say about these ones, boy. <laughs> All right, so we finally splurged and went and saw The Matrix Resurrections in RP, not RPX. Yeah. Yeah, RPX. So awesome sound system in the theaters. And yeah. it's the last time we're ever going to the theater. It's rumbling our chairs. <laughs> yeah. So this Matrix Resurrect- Resurrections is the fourth movie um, in the Matrix franchise. It's directed by Lana Wachowski and not Lily and Lana, just yep. Lana. <laughs> um, tagline. Return to the source. Source material? Original material? Source Source code? Source code. (laughs) So many possibilities. Good tagline. (laughs) Well, also... (laughs) It's been a Hey Lady episode. It has. Um, So, Matrix. Plagued by strange memories, Neo's life takes an unexpected turn when he finds himself back inside the Matrix. Listen to this cast. We have Keanu Reeves, Carrie Ann Moss... Yaya Abdul Mateen II, Jonathan Groff, Jessica Henwick, Neil Patrick Harris, Jada Pinkett Smith, Priyanka Chopra, Christina Ritchie, Lambert Wilson. Tell me again who Christina Ritchie was. She is keep... works in the game developer office. Oh, right. She's and like she was the like marketing PR the, firm yeah, person. PR. Yeah, that's right. She only had like one scene. That's so weird. Yeah, no wonder I missed her. And a bunch of other people that were either in previous matrixes or for the hipster versions of them. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Um, so I think we both liked it. I loved it. <laughs> I loved think we it. liked it. <laughs> it was amazing. It is amazing. And it's hard to know how much to say without spoiling it because part of why I loved it was the experience of it being so both different and exactly what I hoped it would be. <laughs> I think we can give some of it away. So like, I think we can give out the beginning premise. Yeah. So this, it follows Neo. Um, he, Thomas Anderson. You yeah. Mean. Thomas Anderson is working in a video game company. Um, and he is known for designing the top, uh, video game, the matrix, Yeah, which so, like, the first 15 minutes, I'm just like, oh, my God, are all the other well, first, movies just a video game? And they're going to, like, rip this out from Well, first, me. there's, like, this weird <laughs> intro that takes place in the, what do they call it, the modal, 
where it's yeah. like literally a repeat of the first scene with somebody who yeah. looks like Carrie Ann Moss. It's the opening scene from the first Matrix, except somebody is watching it, like yeah. sneaking around and watching it, And they're like, this is, oh, this is the part where she jumps up and freezes in midair. Yeah, mid-air. we know what happens next. Yeah. <laughs> and then she's going to say And then this. it's like, oh, that was just a part of a video game, a programming thing that Thomas Anderson yeah. made. And yeah, like you said, for the first like hour of the movie, you're like, are they really just going to say that like all of this, was all the Matrix movies like, were just yeah. video games that this guy made up? Is this the real world? Yeah. Um, and then slowly things start cracking. And even, even after he wakes up in the real world again, like in the first movie, there's still some things that happen that make you think like, wait a minute, is he just crazy? Yeah. Cause he has a therapist, Neil Patrick Harris, Neil Patrick Harris is his analyst. And he's like, when, uh, Neo is like doing repeating the scene where he's like going through the mirror and mm-hmm. taking the red pill. Um, Neil Patrick Harris shows up and he's like, "You're having a breakdown again." Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, this is not real. Like, you know, so you, even then, you're like, "Is like, is this real? like you're, the entire time you're kind of questioning what's happening, mm-hmm. which is fantastic." Um, there are probably so many little things too, like, uh. Well, like Neil Patrick Harris's glasses are blue, mm-hmm. like, and then yeah. uh, Jonathan Groff's character is—he has like Mr. Smith like sculptures uh-huh. in his office, and I just love Keanu Reeves in this whole movie too. Uh, he's he's really funny, and Carrie Moss <laughs> is fantastic. She gets more interesting stuff to do in this movie than she does in most of the other ones. Yeah, and then you get Yaya playing Morpheus oh, slash fantastic. Agent. As Smith. much as I would have liked to have seen Lawrence Fishburne, and I'm still unclear as to why they couldn't bring him back. The yeah, concept, I'm guessing he just didn't want to do it. Maybe. Yeah. Well, I like. It's hard to even explain, so I don't know that we could really spoil it. But like, he's not Morpheus. He's like a new program meant to mimic Morpheus, yeah. or so, kind of. Except he, he's just like Yaya. The actor is so like having so much fun oh with my it God, the he entire really time. Is. God, so it's I, just he is great. so <laughs> awesome. I love Yaya. He's one of my probably my favorite working actor right and now. And I love like. <laughs> Like Morpheus wears some awesome outfits. Steve Harvey outfits. <laughs> yeah. Very seventies like colors. Super and colorful. Over crazy. the top. <laughs> um, um the first I do want to mention that I think the first act of this movie is hilarious. Which one? Just all the whole meta stuff when they're like Oh yeah. Like, what is the matrix what makes the matrix great? <laughs> they're like they're like brainstorming so they can make a new matrix yeah. game. Yeah, it's all about how Neo is being told to make a new Matrix game against his will. And they're like, <laughs> which is what they're like, well, Lana our parent did, company, yeah. Warner Brothers, is not going to be pleased if you don't make this game. <laughs> and they're going to make it with or without yeah. us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which I think is what they told Lana Wachowski. Probably. Yeah. I mean, so she's like, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> it's just, it's like meta in the most like over the top, brilliant way possible. Yeah. And it calls attention to all the obnoxious stuff about fan bases mm-hmm. for franchises like this, but also like why these things are great and why they connect with people still and uh and it's just the other thing that i think i mean there's a lot of stuff about this movie i love that we could just go on and on and on but the other thing i wanted really want to mention is that uh just like the matrix the first matrix movies really captured like what was going on in the zeitgeist with like the advent of the internet and you know this these cycle our philosophical ideas this one does the same thing for right now really really brilliantly talking about like uh, oh, anybody around you could be, uh, they call them bots. Like anybody around you could be uh, susceptible to becoming like a crazy conspiracy theorist, basically. Yeah, then I even dive into that with like the hum- real human stuff 
between like Mount or between Zion and the mm-hmm. other cities and like how well and then there's like the civil war between machines yeah. and like well we want to work with the machines and they don't want to work with machines and it's kind of like right. a conservative progressive view on sure. how to interact with everybody oh yeah and our friend Spencer wrote a really great write-up that I read last night about it too that was all about how the really the bad guys in this movie are like Twitter and it's basically like, we don't care. It, like you produce just as much energy if you're hopeful or if you're, I can't remember the phrase of me, but if you're like hopeful or, or furious or whatever, <laughs> like negative engagement is still engagement kind yeah. of thing. Um, so yeah, I, I thought this movie was incredibly brilliant. Um, the, there, sorry, go ahead. There was a great moment in our screening. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Where there's a reunion happening on on screen, and two hands touch, an explosion happens, uh-huh. and this woman in the background says, "The power of love." That's the power of love. <laughs> yeah, that was fantastic. And that should be the tagline: "The power of love, Matrix yeah. Resurrections." I agree. Um, so my only issue, you might say the same, was that a lot of the action sequences are too close up. And yeah. so with the other three matrixes, I think we got a lot better, more enjoyable action scenes, but I also feel like this movie isn't about action. It's about romance and stuff. And they even call <laughs> attention to it. They're like, we got to have bullet time. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, oh, yeah, I didn't like bullet time in this. I thought that was good. No, um, I thought we we didn't like how he used Neil Patrick Harris. The, slow, the weird cheesy yeah. slow-mo. Yeah, it was kind of odd, It was, but different. it's different. Um, I don't like different stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, I agree. The two things that bugged me about this are, they're minor, but they were the things that kept it from being a perfect five for me. Or I agree that the action was um, up close and cut a lot mm-hmm. so that it didn't feel, it was kind of hard to follow the action. Whereas in the other Matrix movies, it's very clear what's happening and the choreography yeah. is fantastic. Um, and the other minor flaw I had was that um, the end of the movie is... Um, just a little, it feels a little rushed. Like once, once you kind of figure out what's going on and they have like their big climactic action escape from this matrix, which they don't even really show how they get out, which is odd to me. Yeah. Um, the, uh, just the ending where they kind of confront the bad guy. I don't want to say, um, is just sort of like a little flippant and rushed and kind of just, you know, it's not a super satisfying ending to the movie. Yeah. And I, the other thing I didn't like was, I think you had the opposite though. I got a little, it was too much flashback stuff. They kept using footage from the originals yeah. to like show stuff happening. And at, in the beginning it was fine, but it, it went on through like the whole movie and it was just too much. Cause yeah. that probably added like 20 minutes of a uh, screen time Maybe, or something. Yeah. That didn't really bother me just because the whole movie is so meta. Well, I'm just and, thinking and like such a commentary on like nostalgia culture. Yeah, but anyone who's going to go see this just rewatch the whole trilogy like, <laughs> or knows the trilogy pretty well that we don't need all that extra stuff. I guess. But I think that's I mean, I think Lana's making fun of us for that. <laughs> I guess. Because it's all like, here's your nostalgia right in your face. <laughs> Take it, take it or leave it. Anyway, it was amazing. It is. Any this is, final thoughts? Uh, no, just that this is easily my favorite movie of the year. And then I can't wait to watch this again at home. <laughs> and know, I think it's on HBO Max now. I think people who don't know or like The Matrix probably won't enjoy this. <laughs> no, it'd be at all. really confusing. And you, you wouldn't get the jokes or anything. <laughs> yeah, I agree. So I think this is made for Matrix fans and should be watched by Matrix fans. Definitely. Even though it 
very much pokes fun at the fact that you're yeah. a Matrix fan. Yes. <laughs> but Matrix fans can appreciate the poking. That's true. <laughs> so it is streaming on HBO Max probably for the next month. Yeah, probably for the next um, 20 days or whatever. But I mean, we saw it in theaters and loved it, but you shouldn't go to the theater. So Yeah, that was right before things sort of started, started to go crazy. Um, um, what'd you give it? Uh, four and a half. I did two. And next up, we went back to the movie theater. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right after we just told you that. To. Yeah. Um, so we finally <laughs> saw Licorice Pizza, which came out this year, directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, not Paul T. Anderson. <laughs> Um, Not Paul W.S. Anderson. There's no God. tagline, man. What? No tagline? Not on You Letterboxd. read the description. I'm going to check IMDb for tagline. There's no way. <laughs> you do the finger. <laughs> <laughs> Set I'll in the blow. San Fernando Valley in the 1970s, the film follows a high school student who is also a successful child actor. <laughs> That's a very, very short uh, synopsis. Yeah. Who this high school student falls in love with an older woman. <laughs> um, so it stars Alana Haim, Haim, Cooper Hoffman, who is Sean, or why do I say Sean? Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's son. Right. It does not have a tagline. That's so weird. Uh, you get Sean Penn, Tom Waits, Bradley Cooper, Benny Safdie, Skylar Gisondo, Mary Elizabeth Ellis, some more Haim people. <laughs> John C. Riley as Herman Munster. (laughs) Um, And yeah, I think those are all the main people. So I really, really loved it. I did too. I thought it was great. I really want to see it again, but it's probably going to be a really long time before we do because it's not streaming. Um, But I had a really great time with it. It's one of the few films we've seen that was just like very like, not like heartwarming, but like I was happy while I watched it. Yeah, there's <laughs> like, no, there's it made like me giggle. There's and like, like no conflict in the movie. Yeah, not in a way that it, most of the conflict is funny. It's just like a chill plot, no high stakes. Like I didn't grow up in the '70s, but a lot of it seemed authentic. It reminded <laughs> me a lot of um, Everybody Wants Some. Yeah, in that way, that it's a movie that doesn't really have like a like straightforward plot. It's just like here's a period of time. With these really fun, interesting characters. Yeah. Um, And that's probably the only flaw, really, is that there isn't, like, a set, like, there's nothing pushing you towards the end. Like, there's not going to be a huge climactic moment. Although, I guess there is, kind of. Um, I mean, they run towards each other a whole lot. It's, like, the last, like, two seconds. Like, (laughs) yeah, it's a lot of running. Um, But I overall, I liked it a lot. I did, too. I think the performances are fantastic, which I don't think there's a... a, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson movie that has a bad performance. Honestly, yeah. I think that's I think that's his best strength as a director. Um, the production design is amazing. The soundtrack is killer. We've been listening to it a lot, especially that uh, dingling song. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, it's got tons of lovely and hilarious moments that, like, after we saw it, we were driving home. We we're like, oh yeah, you remember that one part that was really yeah. really funny? And like the <laughs> next day, we're like, oh yeah, and there was that other part that I'd forgotten about that was really funny. Um, I really like when he gets arrested and you don't know why. And they shove him in the back of a cop car <laughs> and you're looking at Cooper Hoffman and the, you can't see the cops, but they're like, you're going to jail, buddy. You're going to jail for murder. <laughs> <laughs> like what? what is happening? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I think this is the best Paul Thomas Anderson movie since The Master for sure. Because I, I like, I I liked Phantom Thread and um, what's the other one? Uh, there's another one in between, right? Uh, Phantom Thread. There will be blood. The Master. Damn it! Um, what is it? Oh, uh, in, uh, Inherent Vice. Oh yeah. Like this is way better than those two by a long shot. I was just thinking like uh. Gary Cooper, oh wait, Cooper, Cooper Hoffman. Hoffman. <laughs> Gary Valentine is the character. Yeah. Uh, his whole kind of persona reminds me a lot of the character his dad plays in Punch Drunk Love, the like yeah, mattress totally. salesman. Totally. Cause like he's such a hustler in this movie. He has like all these different businesses. He's like trying to sell water beds uh-huh. and opens an arcade uh, shop and stuff. <laughs> but yeah, I was just, just connected it. He's like the mattress salesman in yeah. Punch Truck Love. Well, it's funny. I saw a tweet that really made me think about this movie in a different way, that um, the two of them represent she's the 60s and he's the 70s. Yeah. Um, and and that, that that works really well. I hadn't thought about that. It makes a lot of sense and makes the movie work even better for me. Um, I, I, the whole sequence with Bradley Cooper's character is super intense and amazing and funny. <laughs> Uh, where they keep trying to mess with him, but then they keep like ru- literally running out yeah. of gas or accidentally <laughs> seeing him after they, you know, poured a waterbed all over his house that he like said, I'll murder your family <laughs> if you mess up my house. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so that's, that was great. I mean, this movie is just super fun. This is one that is going to in the future be one of those ones that we just put on anytime if you're having a bad day kind of thing. Yeah. Um, the only downside is there's so many scenes that were cut from the trailer. Yeah, it is it's weird. like, where is this? There are a <laughs> lot of funny moments from the trailer that are not in this movie. Yeah. Just like Candyman. I mean, I guess Man. that's good. Like we didn't get, we got extra non-spoiled stuff, but also those things were funny. Like yeah. <laughs> I wanted to see it. True. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's just a feel good movie, but should we talk about what everyone's being buttheads about? Sure. But first I want to say, I really liked when Sean Penn was like, you can ask me anything, but don't ask me about <laughs> Kuala Lumpur. Like, are that was you my favorite. Reading lines? Yeah. Like, <laughs> is this real or are you reading lines? Uh, yeah, go ahead. He was perfectly cast for that. He was part. fantastic because that's uh, basically who he is in real life. Yeah. So everybody on the interweb is upset that Alana Hames' character is 25 or 28. Yeah, it's unclear <laughs> in the movie. And then Gary Valentine is 15. And they're basically falling in love. He's a very mature 15. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, the whole age thing just, I guess it didn't bother me. I don't know what that means. (laughs) The two reasons why it doesn't bother me even a little. One, it's not, uh, I don't think the movie is ever, neither of them are taking advantage of the other one at all. They're both equally kind of. Yeah, he had a chance to and he didn't, so that was good. Yeah, they're equally, uh, they both are super close friends and also kind of annoy the hell out of each other. Yeah. Um, And the other thing that that makes it not bother me at all is that uh, we've seen this the opposite a billion times in the history of cinema and novels and fiction. Yeah. So it's fine if if it swings back the other direction once or twice, you know? Well, I mean, even within this movie, it happens to her, like, Sean Penn is probably what sixties, and she's like twenty eight. That's yeah, like an true. even bigger t- like difference. Yeah, that's a really good point. <laughs> um, so yeah, it didn't bother me. No, me neither. Uh, the the racism yeah. part bothered me more than that. What part was that? <laughs> the guy I can't remember. remember his name. The guy who's in all those uh, uh, Christopher Guest movies. 
who has the Japanese, oh several God. Japanese wives. And he's like, oh, how do you think? Yeah. Oh <laughs> it's, it's so awful. Yeah, he's like, I don't know how to speak Japanese. And he has all these Japanese wives. And he, he just puts on the stereotypical like accent yeah, pretending to talk to them and they're just like dying inside. Some people I saw were really upset about that. They're like, just because you poke fun at it doesn't mean it's not also racist, yeah. which is like, uh, <laughs> it's I, <true. laughs> I kind of see that point, but it, I don't know. It, it it didn't really bother me, but I thought it was worth bringing well, up. It bothered everybody. Well, I mean, it's super uncomfortable. <laughs> I think that's the point. It's like, yeah, it's very did, uncomfortable. Did stuff like this in the seventies. Yeah. It's like, sometimes you get movies that get that where you get to make, uh, make things better than they were like like when you make uh movies that take place in the 50s that have black characters in normal roles <laughs> yeah. or uh and that's fine and sometimes it's fine when you have movies that point out that like yeah in the 70s people were crazy racist and nobody even really in the 90s <laughs> yeah and i mean yeah not that it's different yeah so yeah, yeah maybe that's the problem <laughs> that it makes it seem like oh yeah back then people were super racist <laughs> not anymore um Anyway, so yeah, we had two really great move, new movie experiences Agreed. in a row. Yeah, it was like two or three days apart, and they were both fantastic. I gave Licorice Pizza four and a half. I gave it four. Also, the soundtrack was great. It is great, um, especially that Dingaling song. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure you'll hear it at some point in uh, this maybe I should play episode. It in the um, all right. So next up, we watched Water Lilies. So go ahead. Which came out in 2007, <laughs> directed by Celine Siama. Hey, Thank you. And starring a bunch of ladies. Hey, uh, I was going to say, do you remember when we got really excited because on Letterboxd they said this movie was available to view on Amazon and then we went to the link and it was a documentary about, about lily pads. Water lilies, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Celine Siama, she did Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which last year or the year two before, years, two we or three years ago. loved yeah, my Pesto favorite movie Pits. Of the year. Pesto um, Pits. If you know, you know. <laughs> which most people, like your mom, won't. So turn on Portrait of a on fire right now yeah <laughs> um so this movie is her first like feature film uh i don't know if it is it's one of her earliest ones yeah, it's early. set during a sultry summer in a french suburb marie is desperate to join the local pool's synchronized it, swimming it is team first, yes but is her interest solely for the sake of the sport or for a chance to get close to flory florian florian yeah. The bad girl of the team. The bad girl. The bad girl. Skiama and the two leads cap... Oh, it's another like weird thing. Skiama and the two leads capture the uncertainty of teenage sexuality with a sympathetic eye in this delicate drama of the angst of coming of age. Like, that's not the plot. That's like your thought on the yeah, plot. Yeah, it's like, like, <laughs> odd. I don't know. It's because... Because Letterbox pulls from TMDB, which is all just like people yeah. filling stuff in manually. So, so this is basically licorice pizza again. Age-wise. <laughs> yeah, a little well, bit. Well, although I don't know no, how old. I think probably like 16 and 13, tops. maybe. Yeah. Maybe 14. Yeah, not as far apart. Yeah. Um. So, overall, I liked it, but I did not like it as much as Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Agreed. Um, I thought it was a great look at what it's like to be a teenage girl with many different perspectives, because you don't have, like, the popular girl slash bad girl. You have the, like, young girl it, who's... 
figuring out who she is. And then you have the very unpopular girl who yeah. is kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And does weird things. Um, and it just captures all the awkwardness and upsetting moments that we all experience at some point in our lives. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's a charming and surprisingly kind of complicated movie about raging hormones and first love kind yeah. of stuff. Um, and, and really exploring your sexuality yeah, and what society expects you to explore. True. <laughs> whether that be your actual sexuality or whether you are very sexually active or not. Yeah. Like the whole thing with, uh, Flor- Florian is that she's like perceived as the slut and she kind of acts like it, except she's a virgin. Yeah. And she's worried that like when she finally has sex with this guy that she's been seeing that he's going to know that. She's like mortified that he'll know she's not yeah. a slut. <laughs> Just kind of a, a different twist on it than yeah. you'd expect. Um, I thought all the all three of the main leads are really really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the score was really cool too. It's like this nice kind really of like remember it that much. electric piano stuff. Um, but yeah, I enjoy. It. It's not like an amazing. It didn't like leave a huge. Um, uh, it wasn't super duper memorable. And it's not nearly as like emotionally impactful as Portrait of a Lady on Fire is, but yeah. it's still a very good movie and worth seeing. It's reminded me a lot of the kind of movies I used to watch all the time on um, IFC, like in high school and college. These kind of just like LGBTQ uh, independent movies mm-hmm. I used to catch a lot of, and they're and this is really good. It works. At, it's one of the better ones of that kind of uh, kind of movie. Yeah, so I think yeah. if you like Portrait of a Lady on Fire, you would like this. Yeah, and I mean, vice versa. This was I I wouldn't say it's disappointing, but we I've been wanting to see this movie for so long that um it wasn't like it didn't blow my mind or anything, but it's still a very good movie. Yeah. Um. So you have to go to Videodrome to rent it. Yeah, it's not that easy <laughs> to find, unfortunately. I gave it three and a half stars. I did too. So next up, we watched a little movie I like to call Eyes of Fire. You can say it right. Eyes of Fire. <laughs> what is there a tagline okay i'll do my tagline voice do your thing the secret is sleeping in the trees and it was too kind of was there's little face babies so as far as 1983 directed by avery crones crones is that i don't know a hey lady no oh it was not (laughs) um <laughs> no ladies allowed. <laughs> Not all men. <laughs> <laughs> so, Eyes of Fire is about a preacher who's accused of adultery, and he and his followers are chased out of town and become stranded in an isolated forest which is haunted by the spirits of long dead Native Americans. Sounds familiar, right? Yes. And this takes place, what, 1700s? It was like 1750? Uh, yeah, like, um, uh, early colony days i guess right sure um yeah this is very reminiscent of the witch i would say or the witch is very reminiscent of this yes um yeah so this is part of that uh seven full core box set this is the movie i was mainly excited to get from that uh, because i've been wanting to see this movie for years and years and years um I thought it was pretty damn cool. We didn't say who was in it. Oh, go ahead. Starring Dennis Lipscomb, Guy Boyd, Rebecca Stanley, Sally Klein, Carlene Crockett, Fran Ryan, and Rob Paulson. His name is Rob Paulson. <laughs> who is an Animaniac. 
Yeah, this is his only live action. No, it's credit. not. It said in the trivia. It's well, well, his he's only, a body double. His only major <laughs> was he? Yeah, we talked about uh, it. Like everyone in this movie is in body double, yeah, and I don't know why. That's really strange. I wonder if it came out like the same. I don't know if it's the same year, maybe. Um, Derange De Palma <laughs> Oh man so De anyways, Eyes of Fire <laughs> uh, Yeah Eyes of Fire is a very like Folksy Witchy surreal uh, Period piece horror movie For sure um, I thought uh, the story Was maybe a little bit hard to follow at times um, mm-hmm. And I, I wasn't crazy about The pacing was kind of odd Because it did a lot of fades to black which I thought was kind of weird editing choice. Yeah. Um, it make, and it makes it feel slower than it is. Um, but the effects in this movie are super cool. Although they're kind of outdated. <laughs> I disagree. <laughs> I thought they were it's fantastic. It's like uh, making everything look negative or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, but there's also a lot like of like ghostly <laughs> figures like fading in and out and people people's faces in trees. And stuff like that. Yeah. I thought it was really cool. Um, and I, I like that the ghosts were like basically just like people covered in mud. They were yeah, they like were mud people. kind of zombie-ish a little. Um, but yeah, I'd like to watch this again sometime. There's not, I, actually an extended version that this came with that I'd be curious to watch and see if I feel any differently about it. But um, I really enjoyed this. It lived up to a lot of the expectations I had for it, which was that it was like this very unique creepy witch movie yeah i like that it was pretty original um yeah obvious influence on the witch the witch yeah although <laughs> oddly enough it's like just the basic setup like family run out kind of run out of town sounds like the witch but the rest of it is kind of not in that like the witch is kind of a hero of the movie like she kind of saves everyone right and it's yeah. more like the spirits of religion the is bad yeah <laughs> Well, and obviously, like this religious preacher is like full of S H I T, right? Yes, he's uh he's sleeping around and kind of kind of cr- almost like creating a little cult. He's definitely a cult. This whole thing is a cult. Yeah, but yeah, it's a super interesting, unique movie, and um, yeah, it's pretty creepy. Uh, I thought it's pretty cool. I enjoyed it a bit, a good bit. I gave it three and a half stars. I gave it four. Uh, next up, we watched. The longest movie we've seen this year. Oh, def- well, is it longer <laughs> than Lawrence of Arabia? It's probably about the same. Yeah, I would say it's somewhere in that range. Uh, and that is Love Exposure from 2008. Um, I don't know how it pulled up. Who directed it? What's directed by Sion Sono. Yeah. So Love Exposure is the story of a teenage boy named Yu who falls for Yoko, a girl he runs into while working as an upskirt photographer in an offshoot of the porn industry. His attempts to woo her are complicated by a spot of cross-dressing, which convinces Yoko that she is a lesbian. Um, Dalliances with kung fu and crime and a constant struggle with the guilt that's a legacy of his Catholic upbringing. So there's a lot going on. It's here. a love story. <laughs> it is. Um, this is kind of amazing, right? Yes. I keep thinking about it. It's very long, so it's about four hours. Yeah. There isn't a there is a five hour uh edition that we don't we didn't see. So I don't know what else would be in this. Yeah, well that's what's odd what's really interesting about it is that it's obviously super duper long, and that's uh, one of the main things people talk about, but 
it is also um it doesn't i, I don't want to say it doesn't feel long but it the pacing and never feels slow except for maybe maybe a yeah, little there's bit a lot the happening the story at all times. well and it's super like logical and like well it makes sense that we had to see all that to get to this point like yeah. every every like little piece of the story builds up to the next piece. So by the end, it's like this really complicated um, story and relationship that involves, yeah, like love and sex and religion and. Yeah. There's a lot on religion. Yeah. Um, There's kind of this, this, it's all the kind of weird crossover between those three things and how they can or can't work together. (laughs) Um and yeah, the movie is crazy epic, but also super silly. Uh, I I like to say this movie has is the only movie I've ever seen that has action boners. <laughs> <laughs> is that an accurate description of what, yeah. what happens? Um, it's super like melodramatic and like soap opera y, but in like a very in a very Japanese way. <laughs> yeah. Because it's all about the porn industry, but I don't think you even see. There's like no nudity. No, I don't think there is ever. Any. It's all <laughs> yeah. pika panty. As pika panty. <laughs> um, yeah. So I didn't really know what to expect going into this, except that it was on a lot of like top two fifty uh, narrative movies and stuff, and yeah. I can see why. Yeah, I agree. Um, and then we've also seen Suicide Club from the same director. Yeah, I'd like to watch that again now. I'd be more I'd be curious to yeah, watch it. Yeah, I think I like, like this more than that. Oh, definitely, yeah. Um but yeah, it's just very comedic. But it's also filmed like a TV uh movie. It's all very glowy and like yeah. filmed on VHS or something, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's all just very like kind of I don't know, it feels like I don't know how old the guy was when he made this, but it feels like this is somebody's like first film but also that is like very masterful in the way it's put together because it's so like experimental and crazy and all over the place but in a really fun way not in like a student film kind of way yeah and it has a killer soundtrack Mm -hmm. and the cast is all great great. i don't remember anybody from anything else yeah i don't know that we've seen any of these folks in anything else that's a good question but yeah, it's it's hard to talk about it because it's such a complex movie. <laughs> it is, yeah. But you get a lot on like his Catholic upbringing and then his like desire for sins because that's the only way his father will pay attention to him and his yeah. quest to find uh, the woman of his dreams that his mom, his uh, dead mom would approve of. And uh, then it also goes into like cult territory and incest territory yeah. <laughs> um but uh, yeah um so the the girl that plays the the bad girl uh Ko- koike she's in what looks like she's one of the main characters in shoplifters mm. that was big like two years ago whenever that was uh but i don't rec- really recognize much else that the main three people were in but yeah this movie's crazy uh, it's definitely well worth watching if you can if you can find it. It's not streaming anywhere. I don't think so. We had to buy it. Yeah, we bought it from Arrow. Um, but yeah, it's very good. Very good. Um, I ended up giving it four stars. I did as well. And our last movie for the month is The Beast Must Die. All right, this has a long tagline. Oh, does it? 
One of oh, these boy. eight people will turn into a werewolf. Can you guess who it is when we saw... Uh, I already messed it up. Can you guess who it is when we stop the film for the werewolf break? See it. Solve it. But don't tell. Wealthy. There is an actual werewolf break. Oh, yeah. We want to talk about that. <laughs> Wealthy big game hunter Tom Newcliffe has tracked and killed practically every type of animal in the world, but one creature still evades him. The biggest game of all. Is it human? No. <gasps> It's werewolves. (laughs) So The Beast Must Die came out in 1974. It was directed by Paul Annette. And it stars Calvin Lockhart, Peter Cushing, Marlene Clark, Charles Gray, Anton Diffring, and Sierra Madden. And Michael Gambon, a.k.a. Tom Chabon. Michael Gambon is Dumbledore. Albus Dumbledore. (laughs) From the HP series. Uh, yeah, and Marlene Clark was from Ganjan Hess. Michael. <laughs> uh, Peter Cushing, obviously, we know. Um, had we ever actually seen Calvin Lockhart in anything else? I was, couldn't remember. Oh, yeah, he's in Twin Peaks. I looked up a picture, and I did not remember that role that he was in. Um, he's also in Wild at Heart and Coming to America and Predator 2. <laughs> um, yeah, he's the main guy. So, yeah, this is a really interesting movie because it's like a cross between... Most Dangerous Game and uh, Agatha Christie. Uh, like, what's the one Agatha Christie that this is very much like? It's like the, oh, and then there were none, right? I don't know. Ten Little Indians or whatever. Um, and then, and uh, uh, something, well, and obviously and like a werewolf, werewolf movie. <laughs> yeah, add a werewolf to that soup. Um, yeah, so it's a really unique one. Um and there's a lot of really fun stuff going on. Like, yeah, I mean, first of all, I really, I always like movies from the seventies where, uh, it's a very rare thing, but where the black lead is like a millionaire playboy and not like a servant yeah, <laughs> or that's something. Always a nice yeah. That's really nice. <laughs> and, or, and not like, it's not like a black exploitation movie, except for the, that the music is super funky and awesome. He also wears like an entire leather bodysuit for most crazy. of the film. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like shaft, shaft music, shaft outfit. <laughs> yeah. But you get this great cast of character, you know, character actors doing these very kind of over the top roles and stuff. And it's very like high tech. He's got like cameras and microphones all over the house and the, and the grounds so he yeah. can track the werewolf. And he keeps, you know, pulling out all these tricks to try and figure out who the werewolf is and stuff. Um, Could it be you? you? So it's super <laughs> clever. The only kind of major negative thing that is probably what I would guess this movie is largely remembered for is that the werewolf <laughs> itself is terrible. It's just a dog. It's a dog. With like extra fur. Yeah, it's a dog <laughs> with like a jacket on. Yeah. A furry jacket, basically. So the it's werewolf. It's a good dog. Oh, it's a cute dog. <laughs> but the werewolf is in no way frightening or no scare or monster. Well, you don't looking. get a it's transformation a scene. No, yeah, you also don't get a transformation. It just sort of it, it cut, and then a person is a dog. <laughs> I think we should remake this film. I agree. With this Harley. Is, I feel like <laughs> I feel like this is a movie that's ripe for a remake because if you made this with good practical like werewolf effects this could be really good but we the have concept to is keep so great the cheesy breaking the fourth wall narration oh yeah the movie starts with like <laughs> uh this is a murder mystery yeah. <laughs> only you must figure out who the werewolf is. yeah it's this long narration and it's like uh, there will be a point in the movie where you are given a werewolf yeah. break 
And guess what? 30 seconds to decide who you, the audience, thinks the werewolf is. Yeah, and it literally <laughs> says, like, is it this person or this person or yeah. this person? And then it's like a clock ticking down for 30 yeah. seconds. It's Did you so catch cool. all the clues? <laughs> yeah. We were both. Well, you were closer than I was. Yes. We both. We both kind of. Well, should we spoil who? No, the I don't want to spoil it. <laughs> but we're like, it could be everybody, or it could be nobody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, we were pretty close, I think, on guessing the person. Yeah, or persons. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought this was a lot of fun. It's obviously a little flawed, but it's very interesting, and it was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, uh, this would be really fun to watch with a group who'd never seen it before, and you all try and guess during the werewolf break. It's very much like a party. I want to have a werewolf movie. beast must die party party, and we each have to be a character from the movie. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I agree. Who like gets to wear the murder the, mystery party the body suit and run around our backyard <laughs> tripping yeah. a? wires and stuff i would love to do that because yeah this movie was a ton of fun um i ended up giving it four stars i gave it three and a half but only because they should have splurged on better werewolf yeah this would if it had a great if this had like howling level werewolf Mm -hmm. this would be like a four and a half or a five for sure it's because it's a really cool idea Um, and that's really the only thing that's kind of missing from it is the actual werewolf is not great but you know, you get what you get, as they say. Yep. So that's those are the movies we watched in December, the last month of 2021. Um, so now we're going to move on to our other end of the year thing. So in our mini segment, we're going to talk about our stats for the year. I remember the girl next door. We used to play house on the kitchen floor. I'd be king, she'd be queen. Together we'd play So, let's get into our statistics for 2021. So, a year when we watched less movies than last year, but well, yeah, a more reasonable amount of movies. I how much I watched last year versus... It's still an insane amount. <laughs> yeah, I didn't pull up last year's uh, because it was... Yeah, it was absurd. So, let's just say... just for, just for, We'll compare just the main stat here. Last year, I watched 412 movies. How many did you watch? 442. Damn. This year I watched 334. I watched 358. So you were down by like 90. I was down by like uh, 80. Oh my God. So <laughs> and we yeah. were like, we'll take it slow this year. Yeah. I mean, we still <laughs> watch still a like lot. one a day, Pretty if much. not more. Yeah. Than so one let's a day. look at that. So scroll down. Let's, we're using Letterboxd for our stats, obviously, if you didn't know. <laughs> um, yeah, if you're a pro user, you get these awesome stats. It's totally worth it. Um, so I, my average per week was 6.4 movies a week. 6.9. So you were pretty much one movie a day for the yeah. year. I had one week in the year when I watched zero movies, which is insane. I don't know the last time that's happened. And one I week, watched a movie every One week where I only watched week. one. Um, but yeah, it's because I had all these trips when I was out of town and or working super yeah, long hours. The and lowest stuff. I have is two films in one week. Yeah, I have that a couple times, and then I have a one movie week and a zero movie week, which is crazy because we went on a trip. But like, when do we have time? I guess we did watch a movie. Yeah, when a was our trip? 
Oh yeah, we watched a movie while we were there. <laughs> yeah, we went to the movies and we. What week was that? I'm, I was trying to. I remember. don't remember. Sometime in August. Probably this. Uh, uh, we watched three movies between the sixth and the twelfth. Maybe that was it. Yeah, because we walked, we went and saw Suicide Squad, and we watched uh, Step Brothers and um, uh, Clove Hitch Killer in our hotel rooms. So I think it's obvious the week we watched the most films is Halloween. <laughs> week that is incorrect with, for me. Really? I have 16 on that week. Uh just last week I watched 14 films. I, thir- I watched more for the week Halloween. of your birthday. I guess you were out of town or something. Interesting. Or yeah. I just kept watching movies I mean I had I had two weeks where I watched 13 movies. That was sometime in July. I don't know why. And uh, and then Halloween. And then yeah, like last week I watched 14 All movies. Right. Moving on. That's super boring. To talk yeah. About. So let's talk about <laughs> Everyone's else. like, oh my God. Like, when are they going to stop? <laughs> so, for 2021, our first film of the year was Lawrence of Arabia, mm-hmm. which I think is a good way to start. Agreed. And then we ended it with Boogie Nights, which we didn't talk about on this because we'll probably do a P.T. Anderson. Yeah. And we've probably talked about Boogie point. Nights before. I can't imagine but we have. I think that's a good bookend. Um, and then I have three movies that I watched twice. Yeah, I do too. I watched Body Heat, Psycho Gorman, and Nomadland. I watched Psycho Gorman, Nomadland, and The Manitou <gasps> twice. Manitou! <laughs> um, so let's get into genres. Yeah. So I what mean, were your top three? Well, horror, as always. Horror as well. 174 horror movies. I have 171. 120 thrillers. I have 132 thrillers. Wow, you're a thriller person for sure. <laughs> and 107 dramas. 122 dramas. Then it drops off pretty oh, steeply from there with like sci-fi, action, comedy, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then, of course, USA is always the top for countries. I was surprised on my countries that France was so high. Mine's number four for France. It is I have... four. I thought J- uh, Japan would be way higher than France because of pretty all my close, Godzilla movies and stuff. And yeah. Korea, too, is only Korea. 10, which seems low. Um, New Zealand and Australia are higher than I thought. Well, I they're 10 and 11. I have yeah. 10 films for New Zealand. You watch Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I have 10 for <laughs> Australia, but New Zealand's not on here at all for me. I guess because I watched Piano and Power of the Dog, and you watch Power, too. Yeah, you must have been two New Zealand movies yeah. you watched without me. Um, yeah, uh, French was the second highest language, which I thought Same. was interesting. Um, again, I don't, I'm curious to know what all these French movies are. Actually, you can click and see. Let's see. Water Lilies, Vanishing, Amer. Oh, yeah. Symmetry. Uh, some of these don't count. Put Spider-Man 3 for French. <laughs> for language? And the French Dispatch. Does that have French? Yeah, a lot of that's in French. But I don't know why Spider-Man 3 has it. Yeah, but this counts France for like Annette and, um, well, nope, oh, nope, I know. Nope. French, <laughs> France was high for me for, um. All the Agnes Varda movies, duh. Forgot about that. So let's break down our watches now. Okay. So in 2021, how many older films did you watch versus newer releases? 298 older movies and 36 2021 releases, which I think is actually higher than that. I think it was like... Well, yeah, I have 42 (laughs) new releases and 316 old ones. I think there's a lot of 2021 movies that Letterboxd counts for 2020. And I only rewatched 22% of movies I've seen before, and the rest were all new. It's 36% rewatches for me. That's surprising, actually. 
Um, yeah. Now we got to talk about our leading white people. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, so Letterboxd, yeah, they break down like the actors that you've seen the most and the directors, most movies you've watched. But I want to know how they like, it's obviously skewed towards something because sometimes you can have like the same amount of films for a person, but like the white dude always is at the top. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if it's random or I'm not sure how it's the, how they do it. I'd be curious to know. So let's go. Who are your top stars? Well, big surprise. They're all franchise people. Yeah. So Willem Dafoe, Brad Dorf, Keanu Reeves, Bruce Campbell, <laughs> Song Kang-ho. He's my only non-white person. <laughs> yeah, me too. And then I've got Kirsten Dunst, Ted Raimi, Hugo Weaving, Christopher Lee, and Vera Farmiga. Yeah, it sucks. Doing Spider-Man kind of messed yeah. up some of these because I would have had some Spider -Man, other... Spider-Man, Matrix, Lord of the Rings. I would have had some other <laughs> ladies if it wasn't for the Spider... Like Bruce Campbell and Ted Raimi. Yeah, they don't count. Over. That's so lame. <laughs> it should yeah, do leading people. Both, of the, both cameos <laughs> for those. Yeah, yeah, my number one is Brad Dorf by, by far. He's the only one with eight movies. I have Willem Dafoe and Brad Dorf at eight. What did you watch with Willem Dafoe without me? Um, let's see, The Hunger. Yeah, he had one tiny cameo in uh -huh. it. It's was not it, even a cameo; was it was an extra. One? I only have six Willem Dafoe. Movies. Oh, you haven't. Uh, sh Speed Two Cruise Control. <laughs> <laughs> of course, how could I forget? Yeah. I made you come in and watch when Willem Dafoe is like pulling leeches yeah. on his body. <laughs> He's great in it. <laughs> so my list is pretty similar. Um, I've got Brad Dorf, Christopher Lee, Song Kang-ho, Keanu Reeves, Kirsten Dunst, Bruce Campbell, Ted Raimi, Hugo Weaving, Peter Cushing, and Willem Dafoe. So a lot of Peter Cushing. Hammer stuff. Uh, it's it's like Hammer, Lord of the Rings, and um, uh, Sam Raimi. Yeah. <laughs> and then also Chucky and um, Song Kang-ho. <laughs> so yeah. there you have it. In the second half of it, I have uh, three women. So that's too bad. And one non-white, uh, two non-white people, one man, one woman. So that's too bad that they didn't make it up to the top. Yeah, it gets more diverse the further down I go. Yeah, that's frustrating. Carrie Ann Moss, much. Lawrence Fishburne, Jada Pinkett Smith, and Julie Delphi. And Bill Nunn. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't have him on mine. That's surprising. He must have been in another one. Well, he's probably... Watched Do the, did well, you watch four movies? I thought we watched Do the Right Thing. I have five. a... Oh, weird. Yeah, you must have watched one. No, I didn't watch Do the Right Thing oh. this year. Anyways... Um, so let's talk about uh, how yeah. about our directors? Directors, it, it's okay, but Spider Man messed it up. I was doing really well for half the year <laughs> as far as non white dudes, yeah. Um, but mine's here actually are my, pretty good, I have to say. Let's do top 15. Okay, <laughs> maybe I'll get extra. One. Well, that, that only adds five more white dudes for me, uh, so okay. Uh, so I have Wes Craven. Brian De Palma, George Romero, Peter Jackson, Sam Raimi. So all five dudes. Yeah. White dudes. But Elaine May made it. Mm -hmm. um, then Richard Linklater, Park Chan-wook, Bong Joon-ho, Lana Wachowski. So that that's better. Yeah. And then I get John Carpenter, William Girdler, James Wan, and <laughs> Leah Janek, and Michael Mann. Okay. It's not awful. If I had watched Bound, then Lily Wachowski would have come up. Yeah, <laughs> in my 15, I have five people that are either non-white or female. So that's good, and my, including one, two, including three, my four, number one. Five, six. So I'm more feminist than you. I win. I have three ladies. What are you talking about? My number one is a lady. 
Agnes Varda. I'm surprised she didn't pop up on mine, but you I guess I only watched like I did. You watched? I watched Chloe from five Cl- to Cleo. Cleo from five to seven. That's the only one I watched seven movies. So I. Harper is the biggest feminist. Yay! I win. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, my list is Agnes Varda, Wes Craven, Brian De Palma, George Romero, Sam Raimi. Then my diverse group, Elaine May, Park Chan-wook, Bong Joon-ho, and Lena Wachowski. Then John Carpenter, Peter Jackson, Paco Plaza, William Girdler, Richard Linklater, and Juame Balaguerro. Paco Plaza and Juame Balaguerro are the two guys that did the Wreck movies. That's why, because I watched that whole, Mm. all three of them. It sucks because in my next row, I had two more ladies, Lee Lee Janiak and Lily Wachowski. So close. So next year, we need to just... I don't know. It's so hard with like female directors because they only have like three movies. So unless I watch well, them over and over again, and it's here's not the thing that count. wrecked us this year too was Hooptober and just Halloween in general because we watched we watched bunch, like every West bunch Craven. of Wes Craven movies. We watched a bunch of George Romero, a bunch of Sam Raimi stuff. Yeah. So yeah, that kind of wrecked. Well, it. that's what I'm saying. They always have so many movies you can watch. Like Elaine May, I she mean, has still... like five movies total in yeah. her entire career. Like, well, you, I, I watched hop- four of them this year. Should have hopped on the Varda train. <laughs> I'm still only like a third of the way through that box set. Yeah, I'll watch them when you're out of town again. I sure you will. <laughs> hey, I'm going through my lady list. Uh, any other um, production or like crew stats we should mention we shouldn't because they're all awful people that's probably boring <laughs> to talk about yeah i was trying to look at the sound ones but i don't recognize any of these names under sound well let's go with our highs and lows highest average lowest average most popular and most obscure highest average for me stalker i have the beatles get back but you didn't yeah, count I didn't that. Log that lowest average Candyman 3, Day of the Dead. (laughs) Me too. And I agree with that. That's probably the worst movie we watched this year. Maybe. Most popular, I have The Shining. Yeah, me too. But I think my most obscure is definitely going to be the most obscure. Okay. It is. The Restoration of Books, Florence, 1968. (laughs) That's so unfair. What's yours? (laughs) I'm actually surprised at mine. It's Aquarium of the Dead. Oh, yeah. I don't think that's that obscure. Those movies come out every year. <laughs> well, you pull up Aquarium of the Dead. All right. My review for Restoration of Books, Florence, okay. 1968. Are you the only review? <laughs> I think so. No frills, no fluff, straight down to business and how to restore books after a giant <laughs> flood. <laughs> there have been two people to log this film. Me and some other Cooper who had to watch it. Wait, how do you see how many people have logged it? Uh, on the left under the poster. Oh, I see. Okay. Aquarium of the Dead has 444 views. <laughs> wow. Yours is, you win that one for sure. It's only Re- book yeah, restoration uh, demo. Well, I don't know why it's listed on Letterboxd. Like, it's like an informational is thing. Is a watch feature length movie? It's 40 minutes. So no, Ooh. it's a short, I guess. <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah. So I think that kind of covers it, right? Now we're going to name every single movie we watched. <laughs> yeah, that's not. Uh, I wish we could see like our most obscure country, but you can't really. I mean, Iceland, I have one. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, let's see. Greece, uh, South Africa, New Zealand, Indonesia, Japan. Boy, this is thrilling podcasting right so now. So thrilling. <laughs> it doesn't matter. No. Nobody's listening this far. (laughs) 
Uruguay. Uruguay. Monos. How about Argentina? I think that's all monos. <laughs> yeah. Brazil. Yeah, there's like a whole stretch in South America that's probably all from monos. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we'll keep working on our goals for next year yeah. slash this year. Um, and we saw a lot a lot of new movies, not as many as we did in 2020, which is kind of surprising because we actually went back to the theater. We saw a lot of stuff in theaters this year. We crammed it all in in like the last three months. Yeah, it was all like since October. Well, it's because they changed like a lot of stuff stopped streaming or never even went to streaming and you could only see it in theaters. And like, I'm not going to wait six months to see it again. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to look now. Let's see. Four, five. Trying to see how many of my top 20 movies or movies we saw in theaters. Six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. 12 out of the 20 were ones we saw in theaters. Cool. So, yeah. as opposed to last year, it was probably like one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was all drive in stuff. Yeah. I might be up for like Spider Man drive in. That could maybe be fourth. Well, it might um, be our only option. At I this know. Point. <laughs> we'll see. As we all shut down again. <laughs> yeah, we haven't seen it yet. So, anyways, I think that will wrap us up nicely. Um, we'll talk more about like our favorite movies of the year when we do our Oscar stuff. So, we'll, because we'll, they're still. Yeah, we'll go through like critically acclaimed yeah. versus what we thought should have been nominated or won. Of course. Yeah, because there's only like a couple. Spider Man might be the only like major release that we haven't gotten to yet. I mean, besides like. Well, we didn't see like any of the Marvel yeah, stuff. We didn't see Eternals, but like, that's not going to get nominated. Well, no, but I mean, we might like Spider Man. I don't know. I, um, I'm talking about like Eternals and Shang-Chi and yeah. Black Widow. Like, yeah, we didn't yeah. see any of that. Nope. Um, yeah, somehow we made it the whole year without seeing a Marvel movie. Or. Zack Snyder's Justice League cut. It's like, oh God, no, I thank forgot you. that was this year. <laughs> Yikes. I'm all superheroed out. Yeah. As we I, lose our all our followers. <laughs> yeah, for real. What do you mean you don't like Marvel? <laughs> <laughs> well. So, yeah. Yeah. So I think we can call this one done. Um, but we'll be back. Go ahead. <laughs> hey, lady. There are certain rules okay. that one must abide by. I love by our soundboard. <laughs> we're going to have sure to do. update it for 2022. Yeah, we're going to need some new stuff for sure. <laughs> I think we need uh, uh, I'm be all over you like stink on doo doo. Oh, no, <laughs> it's such a weird one. It's my favorite. Totally usable. But wasn't there one where Bong Chun knows one of his films? We were like, yes, we, yeah, very nice. Yeah, we need yeah. that. <laughs> I need a sing- song Kang Ho board. <laughs> yeah, that would be fun. Um, cool. So that's it for this one, but, uh, don't forget, you can always check out the list of the movies we talked about on letterboxd and you can follow us on Twitter at spliced podcast, where we tweet all kinds of wacky movie stuff. That nobody participates. It's true. We always ask questions <laughs> and nobody answers them. So get on it listeners. Um, let us know what movies you watched this month and, uh, you know, what you, uh, what your stats were for the end of the year. And we'll see you soon for another episode of Spliced Spliced Together. Together.